Hi everybody, welcome to Stretch for Long. I'm your host Bill Whittle. Uh, good to be here. Hope everybody's doing well. It's uh, middle of October of 2021. I was talking with somebody earlier today. I forget where. Oh, I remember. And uh, we thought, wow, getting to close to the end of the year. It's like last two years. I think we should have a receipt for these last two years because nothing happened in 2020 or 2021, as I can see, in terms of, you know, just everyday activity. But here we are. Uh, let's do a little something or other here. Uh, so hope all of you are doing well. And um, I'm going to have to make it a relatively brief show tonight because um, I still have some editing to do. And my voice is a little uh, little sore and I'm tired. Am I hungry? I have... Um, you know, I should check my mail to be sure about this real quick. I think I will. But uh, it's, yeah. Is that from today? Yep. I don't know what's happened. Uh, for a couple of weeks there, uh, Doomcock and I were in constant communication. Looked like we were going to do a show like the next day. In fact, we had a couple scheduled. And he had to reschedule them. He had some craziness going on in his life. He said, and "I've sent him three unanswered emails now. It's like crickets." I don't know what that is, uh, but ever since you know that uh, that hit piece came out years ago um, from. Uh, Media Matters, those fine folks over there. I just, you can't, anytime anything goes wrong after a period of time, oh, well, that's nice. D85 says he still wants to speak to me. He sent me here to tell you. Well, that's lovely. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. The uh, reason I was uh, going on about that is I don't do this as a first reaction. I know he's busy, said he had a lot of crazy things going on. God knows I've been there. But after hearing, you know, after like a bunch of, of unanswered emails, I thought, you know, did somebody send him something? And uh, and I'm glad to hear it wasn't that. You know, it's it's just really hard. Um, uh, just not just not knowing. I think it's just a psychological stress from from that time. I, I used to just le leap to that first. It'd be like the first thing I would go to if I haven't heard from anybody. And then I thought just, you know, the universe doesn't rotate around you, Bill. Uh, but then, um, oh, well, uh, geez, please pass on to him my, my deep, uh, consult, uh, it says been, life has been crazy for him. Uh, I just hadn't heard back from him. And <laughs> since we're communicating this way, uh, would you please pass on that? I understand completely. And I mean, completely, uh, what, um, is going on here. Uh, there are times when I just have to shut off the input. If you could just pass that on, uh, that there are times when I have to shut off the input and I don't want to talk to anybody and I don't want to deal with anything. And, um, and so, uh, great. I, I, I put it out there because I had a feeling somebody might know something and I was just afraid I'd hear somebody, oh yeah, well, you know, you heard this or we heard that. Now that's wonderful news. I'm very excited about that. Uh, so, uh, anyway, there we go. That's great. And, and no hurry. It was just bothering me, you know, not because I wasn't getting a response it was bother bothering me because, um, 
you know, this is what happens when people uh, slander you or libel you. Um, and uh, so not being able to answer an email because you're overloaded, because I think that's probably the word, uh, is something I can relate to. So please pass that on. Um, oh, yeah, well, we could talk about that. Uh, Dennis says he's incensed about what DC is doing to Superman. Uh, Superman, um, is it Superboy? Is it his son, young Superman? I don't know. It's another reiteration of Superman. It's a lot more interesting, Superman. He's much better Superman, much more like Superman because he's gay. Yes, gay Superman. Now, I saw a still of a frame from the, from the cartoon of Superman kissing another guy. And I thought, man, what could be more Superman than that? And this is the one of the things I wanted to talk with with uh, Doomcock about, and we will. And I might as well just kind of, um, just because we usually kick off before we get to questions, this is as good a, a place as any. <laughs> this Superman fellow with the red cape. Do you, do you know of this Superman? Yes. Is he a queer? Well, he looks like a queer, doesn't he? Yeah, Superman the queer. Um, so, uh, I, I'm saving most of this uh, for, for later, but here's the thing. And, and it's related not just to comics, it's related to the whole pop culture thing. And if you're not into the pop culture, then um, this won't mean anything to you. If you think about it, it makes sense. And, and this is one of the things I really, really want to talk about. Um, we have to do something about this idea of canon. Now, um, it is Superman's son. Yes, it's Superman's gay. It, it's, it's not Clark Kent. It's, 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 uh, it's a new, uh, so this would be what his, would this be his brother or his little brother or his cousin? I don't know. In any event, um, here's, here's what I think we need to do. I'm just speaking as a pop culture fan now. And I'd really like to flesh this out with Nerdrotic and, 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 uh, oh, it's his son. Okay. Uh, with Nerdrotic and with, uh, uh, Doomcock and, and a bunch of other guys. So you have these cultural icons, these myths, these these are these are mythic figures for us and they have more important meanings than than the kind of images you might find on you know like the than the than the the, uh, the fruit loop toucan right these are more important than that people put their lives into it i i watched a, a good bit just pieces of it not too long ago a couple months ago of the 79 superman with chris reeve and and i couldn't believe how clean that movie is you know just how how clean that's the only word for it there's no artifice there's no negativity there's no irony he doesn't ironically stop bullets he doesn't you know the, just and and so much of that movie works because of the the just sheer charisma of of christopher reeves and 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 that smile and and all of it so so for people who are comic book fans and i'm not a, a big comic book guy but I am a, a movie guy and I'm a TV guy. Up until, well, no one's dealt with this yet. 
fans who hang on for every word of Superman have two different sources of information. They have fan fiction, which is other people writing stories, or somebody does a drawing of Superman, or somebody says it'd be kind of cool if, and there's millions of people out there producing hundreds or thousands of these things. And then the other thing is canon, which, as you know from the biblical and religious uh, aspects of it, essentially means official, right? Something that's canonical. Canonical Superman would be something that's, a, that's appeared in a DC comic book. Canonical Star Wars wouldn't be somebody's homemade movie about uh, Luke Skywalker. Um, canonical Star Wars would be something that came from primarily from one of the movies or one of the novels or one of the things in the, you know, in the Star Wars extended universe or whatever the case may be. And the same, same thing's true for James Bond. It's, it's true for all of these things. And I think it's time and past time and well past time that we basically just get over this um, idea. And I think that that we really need to, and if no other reason, and brush back the, the, the producers of these of this garbage. I think there needs to be a like a canon committee. Something something like that. And it's made up exclusively of fans. It's completely independent of the official owners of the copyright, because the owners of the copyright have shown no respect for what for what the fans have put their money in their life. The reason that Star Wars is a cash cow, or was, was because people were willing to pay for it. And they were, they were willing to pay for it because, because it was something that they wanted. And now, since everybody wanted it, then the left uses this to inject this into our, our bloodstream and inject it and, and, and turn it into a virus and utterly ruined it. And then something has to, has to happen about this. I mean, really, um, they said the committee will get just as corrupted by ideology as well. I don't believe that. I think, I don't, I don't believe it. I think that everybody knows what canonical Star Trek is and should be. Uh, and I don't think there's anybody out there in any significant numbers that are out there just pulling for canonical uh, Star Trek discovery. I don't think there's a single, they're not a strong bunch of people out there kind of pulling for the canonical um, Kelvin timeline in Star Trek. I think Bart's uh, treasure says that Gene Roddenberry guarded Star Trek canon religiously. I agree. So yes, of course there's problems. As Eric points out, who appoints the committee? Who gets on the committee? Who decides? I don't know, but these problems, and, and how do you deal with somebody who's, who's gone off on, on the, these problems are engineering problems. They're, they're engineering problems. But the reason I am getting more and more inclined to like this idea is that all of this perversion bothers people so much because it is canonical. Now, Doomcock was talking the other night about the, this latest uh, Indiana Jones 5 movie. And basically, Indy has a, a sidekick now, a, a uh, you know, a, uh, what's the word? A spunky reporter, young uh, woman reporter who follows him around. And then as she follows him around, she ends up doing everything. And uh, she's the one who, who leaps through this portal. This movie's not out yet. She's the one who does this. She's the one who does that. And Indy is reduced to what um, Luke Skywalker was, which is basically kind of a, a superfluous old man who, um, who's following around. And if Doomcock's latest reports are right, and it seems to be always right, then they've written the script so that there's a time travel element, and not only do they eliminate 
Indiana Jones canonically. They, the young Indiana Jones who went on to do Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's killed. And then, um, and then uh, old Indiana Jones puts his hat on, on this, uh, this stringy-looking English chick whose name escapes me for the minute. It'll be back in a second. Um, yeah, I want to say it's Camilla Parker Bowles, but I'm pretty sure that's not it. And, and then, so then you've got the, the hat, and he hands her the hat, and he hands her the whip, and he says, it's up to you now. So then the final credits are this, uh, this, this rail-thin chick basically kind of roaming through the world doing Indiana Jones things and they're playing the India the Raiders of the Lost Ark march and everybody's supposed to think that okay well hey this is this is uh Phoebe Walk yeah Phoebe Waller Bridge and everybody's supposed to say oh well now we've got a new Indiana Jones let's get excited about that and this is where this is where the rubber meets the road as we used to say this won't work. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. It never will work. And this is the most important thing that keeps me optimistic. I've said it a hundred times. If people were buying this crap, then we'd be doomed. But they're not. They're not. And Lady Ox is like like a new James Bond. Yes. The, this uh, Now, apparently, they toned that movie dead two years delay because of COVID. But they toned that down hard. Um, because of the backlash about, about you know, it, it, nevertheless, once the movie came out, it's like James Bond basically sits around and lets, and lets this, uh, this black chick be, you know, 007. And we're supposed to believe that, yes, of course, black women can be super secret agents, and, and we see it all the time. Uh, and of course women can be Indiana Jones, and of course women can be all these warriors, and I'm just so tired of seeing these, these images of, of, of these female warriors holding these enormous swords, and they, they couldn't even lift the weapon. And I've had enough of it, and so has everybody else, and furthermore, nobody, I'd be willing to go, I'd be willing to say, hey, look, this is human nature, I understand. People get old, and as they get older, they pine away for their days, and everybody thinks that, geez, the time I grew up in was a golden era, and so on and so on and so on. I would be willing to accept that my vision of James Bond, my vision of Star Trek, my vision of Star Wars was a, a sort of a dated kind of a thing if, if people were buying the new stuff, but they're not but they're not. No one buys it. And it really is a, and, and the irony, the irony of these people talking about cultural appropriation is beyond my understanding. You're wearing your hair in, in cornrows? How dare you? <laughs> Captain America isn't black and neither is James Bond and, and Indiana Jones isn't female. And if you want an Indiana Jones to be female, go out and write your own goddamn Indiana Jones for God's sakes. You know, I mean, this is the thing. It's like they are, they are too incompetent, untalented. They're too bitter. They're too tiny. They're small-minded people. And they suck onto these things like leeches. And they kind of just have to suck all the life out of it. And part of it is they don't have the talent to write their own stuff. They don't have the talent to, to make their own characters interesting. And then... And then, if it turns out that, well, all we did was destroy the, the franchise, well, then that's good. That's a net gain, right? That's one less thing for the cis, white, heterosexual, you know, 
uh, patriarchy to uh, to use to oppress people. And and Alfonso Rachel brings this point up all the time, all the time. And and I'm going to bring it up too. If you're saying that uh, the patriarchy must be destroyed, then my response, you know, my response to all this, and I didn't start this way, by the way, and I don't, I don't go around trying to ruin people's day. I don't, I don't particularly enjoy having to get down on this whole transgender athlete thing. I'm perfectly happy to let what people be. If you want to, you want to, you want to uh, be a woman, you want to have a sex change operation, fine, that's fine. Just don't tell me that you're a woman and don't expect me to, to buy it, that that's a reality. But, but all of this stuff is just plain reinforcing the fact that, I guess, here's what I'm saying. If, if, if women are the complete equals of, of men in every way, and superior, in fact, better, all, all of the James Bond better, the, the, the black woman James Bond is better, the, the uh, female Indiana Jones is better, the female Luke Skywalker is better, the female um, Captain Kirk is better, they're, uh, Kirk, Spock, blend, whatever, they're all better. If they really are better, then how come there's a patriarchy in the first place? Why isn't it that males are constantly going around crying about the, 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 the matriarchy? And I have this question too in terms of people who talk about, oh, you know, white supremacy, you've got, it's just this, you've just got to get rid of this poisonous idea and we're going to destroy this. It's like, you're, you're forcing me now to ask questions like, well, why is it that history didn't record Africans getting into ships, sailing to England and taking white slaves for use in their colonies in Greenland. Why? This is the point that Alfonso makes all the time, all the time. And that is that every time you hear people complaining about things like white superiority and, oh, it's the white savior complex and all the rest of it, it's like, well, then if you don't believe in this, then stop giving me reasons to stop providing reasons and evidence that it exists in the first place. I just, I just don't get it. This is a really good example. It's a Detoli, I guess. He brings back the case that um, the uh, that the the women's soccer team, you know, this 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 worth every penny as much as, as men, we've got to have a strike and we've got to constantly call attention to the fact that, um, that women's soccer is just as good as men's soccer, but we get paid less and so on. Well, the, the, the worst men's soccer team in the world don't lose to a bunch of 15-year-old boys in a trial match, in a warm-up match. 15-year-old boys beat them. 15-year-old boys. And I'm not surprised about that at all. It, this whole thing is built so deeply into us. There, there are times when I think, you know, I really wish I could just see a game where where um, what's her name women's soccer team could play the men's American soccer team, and and it's built so deeply into us now that I think that even if that happened, I get the feeling the men would be holding back. They'd either hold back out of out of uh, political reasons, or they'd hold back out of just the reason that most men hold back, which is you know. We, we don't want to or need to show this, but I really do, really, really would pay serious money, serious money to see the, the, the women's soccer team take on the men's soccer team and have, and have confidence that the men were going all out. All out. I would really, really, really pay major money to see that. 
And I'm of an age where this whole, I saw this thing start. I saw it with my own eyes in real time. I saw it happen when they had the battle of the sexes and um, uh, the, uh, the, the tennis match, Bobby Riggs and um, Billy Jean King. And I was a little kid, relatively little kid. I was in either elementary school or junior high, something like that. And they made such a fuss out of it. Who is better, men or women? Who's better, men or women? Is it who? And 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 the, the little girls were pulling for the for the girls, and the guys were saying, "No, no, no." And so it turns out that Billie Jean King, in her prime, the best the best uh, the best woman tennis player in the world, managed to beat a guy who's 20 years past his prime, had gained all this weight, wasn't even playing around. He was. And then we find out we find out 20, 30 years after the fact that even with this fat out of shape, third stringer, he threw the match. He threw the match. And when that happened, when she beat him, that was the, as far as I can see, that was the beginning of this, of this process. This, this, it started out as catering and pandering. And listen, there was a lot of stuff that needed to be corrected, and I'm not denying any of that, all right? I'm not denying the the need for that, but to 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 uh, to undo an injustice by creating another injustice, or especially to undo a, an injustice by creating a fiction, is the beginning of the end. And and I watched it happen. And from that point forward, you know, somebody sent out a meme. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this. I'm just in a belligerent mood. Uh, Somebody sent out a meme, I forget what the picture was, but it was, and just like that, white people disappeared from TV commercials. And I thought, yeah, have you noticed? I've noticed that. I've, uh, I've noticed that. Oh, um, once again, from uh, Ditoli says, didn't Serena get beaten by the 350 ranked male player? This is a point I cannot stress strongly enough, okay? I cannot stress this strongly enough. I'm not the kind of guy that wants to go around kicking in doors and waving this superiority in people's faces, but there comes a point where this attempt to utterly demasculinize and to, and to eliminate men from the pop culture, eliminate white people from the pop culture, eliminate Christians from the pop culture, eliminate all of it, just to, just to write it out by a bunch of, by a bunch of angry, nasty, untalented, mean-spirited feminists and, and, and gamma males it's reached the point where I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm just not. I'm going to simply start to push back. I'm going to push back. No, it's just no. It's just plain BS. BS, and that's it. And 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 now it's time to push back. I, whenever I run into these people, whenever I run into them, it's like. There are just about every high school track and team, just about every high school track team in the country has boys that run faster than the fastest woman who's ever run, than Flo Joe's Olympic run. Just about every high school. There are millions and millions and millions of boys who run faster. Boys, 14, 15 year old boys run faster. And so they're creating this narrative that basically says that this white straight male is responsible for all the evil in the world, when in fact, 
if white straight males were as evil as they said, we wouldn't be hearing from these whiny crybabies at all. As if we were as evil as they say we are, we would have simply used our superior strength and, and our superior uh, quickness and our superior ruthlessness and all we simply would have had them taken out. Just take them out, either take them out and rough them up or take them out and knock them off one or the other. If we were as evil as they wanted us to believe, then that's what evil people would do. But we don't. We just keep taking it and 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 taking it. And I'm tired of taking it. I'm not taking it anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> How and dog. But what's the name of this? I've forgotten the name of it. It says a boy in a skirt can still rape a girl in the school bathroom. There is the story of the age, which needless to say is being uh, suppressed. Um, we were assured, we were assured that um, this whole idea of, of trans males going into women's bathrooms in order to, at the very least, uh, get a free glimpse and, and much more likely to intimidate or to, uh, uh, you know, now we find out, yeah, Loudoun County. Now we find out that, yeah, they had a guy who said he's a girl, goes into the women's bathroom, rapes this woman, and when the father comes to complain about it, he's arrested. I don't know if you guys saw this thing um, from, uh, from Australia. Uh, you know what? I think that's actually worth showing to you since we're on this thing. Let me see if I can find it real quick. There's... There is a, 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 it just happened a week ago. I'm just going to do a quick search. If I can't find it, I won't waste a lot of time on it. Um, it doesn't seem to be popping up. All right, then I'll just tell you about it. So there's this video, it's selfie video, and and it's from Australia. And there's a knock on the door, and the guy answers the door. And outside the door are two police officers, a man and a woman. And this woman has an entire file folder. And she, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? She says, I have some of your Facebook posts. Here are hard copies of some of your Facebook posts, including one of them showing you the, at a protest. But at the time that protest took place, Australia was under a COVID-19 lockdown. So we here, these two policemen here, us, me and this, my partner, are here at your house to ask you if this picture of, of this protest that you posted on your social media page were you at this protest? And the guy says, why do you want to know? Who do you think you are? He says, well, we want to know. Were you at this protest? He says, it was a protest. It was a political protest. Yeah, we want to know if you were there. They basically want him to admit it because if, if he admits it, they're going to arrest him because it was a violation of the COVID lockdown. This guy says, did you, did you knock on all the doors for the people that were out protesting the Black Lives Matter thing? No. He says, yeah, well... You know, what about that? Well, that's not really our business. We want to know, is this you? And then the guy did something.
then the guy did something really cool. Really cool. Before he challenged me, he said, "Who do you who do you work for? Does it doesn't it bother you that you, you you're supposed to represent the people, not these, not these incompetent, evil healthcare officials and and corporate drug you know manufacturers? What's the matter with you, basically?" But they kept going. We need to know if this was you at the in this picture. This picture you posted. He wasn't in the picture. He posted it. Were you there? Uh, and you know what the guy did? He did something I just loved. He, he said, "You know." I don't recall. It's brilliant. You don't recall. No, I, I honestly don't remember. So you're saying you weren't there? No, I'm saying I don't recall being there. I don't recall. And then they then there's nothing they can do. And it's it, this is the Hillary Clinton defense. This is the this is the politician defense. This is the this is the Jeff Zuckerberg. I'm sorry, I keep saying Jeff, the Mark Zuckerberg defense. Did you do this? Yes or no? I don't really remember. Let me circle back to you on that one. Okay. Okay. I don't recall. That's, I have never seen, and this is not just happening in America. In fact, every time I think that things can't get worse than they are in California, I see, I see video from Canada or Australia. Canada, Australia are more fascistic than, than, the, than the biggest fascists here in the United States. I, I, I just don't know what to say about it. When they arrested that, that church pastor for the same thing, for COVID violations, arrested him, basically pulled him over in the middle of the highway, you know, it's like, this is Canada. You keep voting for this, you know. Now, you could say, well, the Americans keep voting for this, but I don't believe that we did vote for this. I really don't believe we voted for this. No, I don't. But that's forbidden speech, too, which is why I'm saying it. Uh, but I don't recall. Really? Nope. And I think that should be our attitude towards everything from, from this point forward. Do you have any weapons? I don't remember. Can we come into our house, into your house and look? No. If we came into your house, uh, would we find any weapons? I'd want to say, that's none of your GD business. Get the F off of my yard now. If you don't have a search warrant, you get off my property right now. And, and that is something that we can say as Americans. I don't know if they can say that in Canada. I, I genuinely do not know what the, what the rules of police, what, the, what authority the police has to come into your house. I'm going to assume, going to assume that as a Western country, there was a time when you had to have a warrant to enter somebody's house, but that's certainly true in the case of the United States. So it's, and, and so this is it. Look, if I get, if I get pulled over uh, at a traffic stop, okay, I'm not one of those guys who's going to say, I'm a sovereign citizen and you have no right over me. I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. But here's the kind of guy I am. Can we look in your trunk? No, you may not. And then, and then, if they, if, if, if I'm being hassled, then I'll say, I'll say, officer, uh, can you explain to me what the probable cause for you pulling me over is? And then I would go through that thing. And then I would go through this. And I've seen, I've seen this question. This is, this is very different than I'm a sovereign. sovereign. This is very simple. Officer, am I under arrest? You're not under arrest. You're being detained. Well, if I'm, if I'm not under arrest, then I'm going to go now. Because that's what arrest means. 
And so you have to make a decision, sir, whether you're going to arrest me or not, because if I'm not under arrest, then I'm going to leave. If I am under arrest, I will comply with your authority, no problem. But you can expect to see me in court if it turns out that you have no probable cause for pulling me over. That kind of thing is different than the, than the, than the, than the other stuff. I'm not even saying the other stuff is wrong. I'm just saying it's just, it's just not effective. It's just kind of silly. I have not seen, I have yet to see a police officer who got through that particular challenge. Every time I've seen it, I've seen it three or four times on video, that specific challenge, the police have backed down every time. Um, and that is, yes, am I under arrest, sir, yes or no? No, you're being detained. Well, you have the legal power to arrest me with probable cause, and I'm not resisting arrest. But if you will not tell me whether I'm being arrested or not, and you tell me I'm being detained, then I decline to be detained further. I'm going to go about my business unless you tell me that I'm under arrest, in which case I will get out of the car and you can put the handcuffs on me. Which one is it? Because I will either drive away or I will respect your authority and you can arrest me. One of those two. And they don't know what to do with this. Now, Marusha Dark says, go wisely is an acronym for grounds, object, warrant, identity, supervisor, entitlement to leave, and legal. You want to explain that? Oh, is this, these are all the, these are the questions that you have to, that you can kind of, kind of, this is how you walk your way up through the pyramid of, uh, of this. Um, being the, yes, but see, this is the thing. See, this is why this is actually kind of interesting. Because when a policeman, when you ask a policeman, am I under arrest? And he says, you're being detained. Guidelines for protecting from police encounters. Grounds, object, warrant, identity, supervisor, entitlement to leave legal. This, this is where I think I would, would go. And I think this is where most people would go. I'm not an expert at this, and there are experts in, in civil rights and, and, and policing, you know, exceeding their power and so on. But if it was just me on the street, if it was just me on the street, then I would simply say, am I under arrest? And they say, you're being detained. I will say, well, sir, being detained is, there's no legal definition for being detained. There's a legal definition for arrest. And so if you're holding me for questioning, if you're detaining me for questioning, I decline to answer any more questions, and now I would like to leave. And if you are going to prevent me from leaving, it's because I'm under arrest. But if I'm being detained for questions, I decline to answer any more questions, I am not going to answer any more questions, and I will go about my business unless I'm under arrest. And I've never seen them. And, and, and Marusha points this out too, and if you get just pulled over for no reason, it's like, well, sir, with all respect, and I genuinely mean that with all respect, it's a tough job. Uh, what, uh, what is the probable cause for pulling me over and holding me? I have constitutional right to go about my business, and I respect the fact that law enforcement has a right to either arrest me or ask me questions based on probable cause, and so what is the probable cause? And Eric says, and if I am under arrest, then I'm going to just shut up. And, 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 and obviously, that's the case. If you're under arrest, you should just shut your mouth. I don't know how many 
of these courtroom dramas and internet things have I seen where people, and, and of course, in virtually all these cases, these people are guilty, but it's like where, you know, how many, I enjoy watching these things because it's interesting to me. I've seen a number of these things where on like criminal channels, where guilty people, I'm not talking about innocent people now, where guilty people are being interrogated by the police and openly provide the evidence to, to do it. Um, and and uh, if, if I ever get to, well, so, so you're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. If I'm exercising that right. And I'm not going to say a word. Again, I'm not going to say a word. They can leave me in a holding cell. They can tell me the lawyer's on the way. Uh, just shutting your mouth can actually be used against you to imply guilt in the court, says babyface Nelson 12. I don't believe that. And even if it's true, you have you have a legal right to not... They, they read you the right. That's what the whole Miranda rights are. And by the way, I'm in favor of, the, of Mirandizing uh, people. There was a, a lot of talk about that. Oh, it's just going to help the criminals. No, I think I think I think I'm actually kind of proud of the of the Miranda rights that the police have to read you your rights uh, before they arrest you. Um, uh, here's something significant. Let me see here from J. Mold. The Canadian government just sentenced Pastor Arthur Pawlowski. The sentence is one of the most Orwellian things I've ever heard. He's sentenced to 18 months of quote wherever he talks about locks. Whenever he talks about lockdowns, the pandemic, or vaccines, in tweets and speeches or media interviews, he must immediately repudiate himself and give the official government view condemning himself. That's not a magazine opinion. That is a court ruling? Now, action context system says if they are Mirandizing you, then you are under arrest, and I understand that. Once they start to Mirandize you, then you're under arrest. And I'm not resisting arrest. I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to resist arrest. No way. I'm not going to resist arrest. I'm not going to. If the guy says you are under arrest, at that point, the entire conversation changes, and I become extremely compliant and extremely quiet. So that's what that's what I do. And and how this evolved from from where we were before talking about Indiana Jones. At first, I was going to say, I don't know. But now I realize, no, no, it's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the same thing. It's, it's the ability to rewrite history. You see, that's really what's going on is the power to rewrite history. In the Soviet Union, they used to say, um, uh, the future is known with certainty. It's the past that is completely malleable. Something along those lines. Um, so the reason I get so amped up about things like Black James Bond or Black 007 or, or female Indiana Jones is because people are rewriting history and they're rewriting the rules. They're rewriting the law. I, I don't know how I can make this clear enough. I don't require Indiana Jones to have some helpless female who who stumbles every three feet. Uh-uh. Nobody's interested in that. The There are magnificent female characters out there. We were talking about, somebody said, well, there is a female Indiana Jones, and her name is Lara Croft. Great, great, fantastic. Lara Croft, totally fantastic. She's got the money. She's got the means. She went around. She's got twin 45s. Who's, who's going to argue with that? But this, this 
displacement is is an attempt to rewrite history to, and to and to change the 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 rules of the world uh you know what i mean yeah sword fight i how many god how many times how many times have i seen it? i complained about this with the vikings thing a year ago or whatever it was How many times have I seen this? You've got a male warrior that weighs 260 pounds, and you've got a female warrior that weighs 120 pounds, and she... <sighs> Eric Blake says the current uh, Lara Croft is vulnerable and often loses her physical fights. You know what? Indiana Jones was vulnerable, and he often lost his physical fights. That's why we loved him, right? If Indiana Jones had gone from from from, forget all the other movies, because the other movies, the first the first two sequels were were, were not bad, especially um, uh, Last Crusade. Okay, four was garbage, Crystal Skull, and this thing is garbage. But let's just so let's just concentrate on on. Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. The movie's title is Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you go looking for it now, you'll find Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's another way to rewrite the history to increase the franchise, and this, you know, all up, up, fine. Just look at Indiana Jones. The best part of that movie, and the reason that people fell in love with this character, is not because of his ability to punch people out and swing his whip around. The reason people loved Indiana Jones was because of that scene when they're in the boat and he is just covered in bruises and 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 he can't move. And and Marion is basically doing this and it's like, uh, uh, and he says, you know, where, where did, well, tell me where it doesn't hurt. And he goes, here. And she goes, here. And then he goes, here. He, he's just... He's just beaten to a pulp. It's not the years, kid. It's the mileage. Okay. See, this is this is why it works. And I, I just, I don't know. This is a conversation for Doomcock, but not only did these characters work, but female action heroes, the, there are the handful of them, worked. Obviously, Ripley works and Sarah Connor works. And the reason that they worked is because they were written by men. Because if they were written by feminists, they never would have allowed them to fail, never would have allowed them to be um, uh, vulnerable. The idea that a feminist writing that scene, a great scene, it's another great scene um, in, in my favorite movie, Aliens. Aliens works not because of the action scenes of gunning down the, the, the aliens. You get to gun down aliens in Starship Troopers. The thing that makes aliens work is the scene where she's alone with Hicks and he's showing her how to use the weapon. She's not showing him how to use the weapon, he's showing her how to use the weapon, which makes sense because he's a warrior and she's a navigator. But he's showing her how to use the weapon do, okay, this will do. Give it, you know, pull it up, feel it, and she's like, yeah. And there's a little bit of flirting, not a little bit, a lot of flirting going on there. And then he basically says, here's a locator thing. 
yeah. It's like, I want you to wear this, uh, you know, that way if you get separated or something, I can find you. And she goes, thanks. And then he says, doesn't mean we're engaged or anything. That, mo that line, that line was, that line made that movie work. That, that, I cared about those two characters because of that line and because of that moment. He is concerned for her. He's taking care of her, but he's not insulting her. In fact, he's going out of his way to not insult her. He's going out of his way to say, oh, you're a poor, weak little thing. You couldn't possibly handle this weapon. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, I'd like you to wear this. And in case you think that I'm giving you this because I sense your weakness, I'm not. Just wear it, would you? Doesn't mean we're engaged or anything. That's, that's why it works. A lot of people here in the comment section stream have been um, have been commenting on uh, on Paxton's character in that. Uh, Hudson from Aliens is one of the favorite one of my favorite characters of all time. He, he's certainly in the top three. He may be my favorite, most favorite character ever. Um, because because it was so human. You know, it was it was it was so human, and he executed it brilliantly. I mean, he was just great. He's just absolutely great, and and there's just there's a period of about I don't know three or four screen minutes where Hudson gets off three or four lines that are just immortal. You know, you know he's walking around after the after the the second dropship or the dropship crashes and is and the first one and he's saying oh, game over man game over it's like i we all know people like that i've been that guy occasionally i try not to be but i have been and then there's the line um that uh that i just i just loved it when i saw it i saw it in the movie saw it in the movie theater and i'm watching this you know and everybody's there and and everything's wreckage and he says well we can do this and, and then he says you may not be up on current events man but we're getting our asses kicked back there when he said you're not up on current events i thought freaking great and then the greatest line in the in the entire movie is uh is um hudson stop your complaining this four this six-year-old girl has survived here for five weeks on her own Great, why don't you put her in charge? I just, I just, when I heard that, I just said, okay, okay. That's just marvelous. Oh, and then, and then D. Tolley, I, I hope I get that right. I'm sorry, I don't have my glasses on. He's talking about Apong. Apong was great. He was a great character. How many lines did he have in that movie? Ten, maybe? And he, and he puts, uh, and he, he just, he just doesn't even put it in quotes. He doesn't have to. I know who, he doesn't say who says it. Right here in the comment section from Detoli. Every day in the core is like a day in paradise. Every formation a parade and every paycheck a fortune and every meal a banquet. Yes, absolutely. Apone was fan... Oh, really? That I didn't know. Helios 1776 says that the actor who played Apone was actually a drill sergeant in real life. I did not know that. I did not know that. But... It makes me very, very happy. Obviously, the great example of this is uh, is uh, R. Lee Ermey. And, and what most people don't really know is that R. Lee Ermey 
who played the drill instructor, everybody knows that the guy who played the drill instructor in Full Metal Jacket was an actual Marine drill instructor. But I think one of the reasons that he got the part and that Kubrick was comfortable with him was because Kubrick had to deal with this issue earlier. I don't know how many of you know this, but he undoubtedly was comfortable letting an ex... Well, first of all, Arlie, Arlie Ermey is just a damn good actor. And he really is. He's just a really good actor. But Kubrick had to deal with this issue years before this, maybe 10 years before this. And you know what movie he had to deal with it on? Uh, the lighting of the walls kind of back down. Uh, but it, it, it's in 2001. And it, and it caused a lot of trouble. When he was making 2001 A Space Odyssey, he needed the guy from Ground Control, the mission controller. You never see his face. The guy who approves the... Um, the EVA and he'd hired an actor for it and the actor read the lines and apparently he worked with him as much as he could and it just didn't sound right so he had to get all kinds of union exceptions for them I mean, really from from what I read about the making of 2001 this was one of the this was one of the most difficult things he had to deal with was he said I cannot use an actor for this i need an actual air traffic controller i need somebody who can who can say these lines and make me believe them and so they found a guy and they found a guy to to do the uh roger uh, x-ray delta one this is a uh, mission control uh roger you're you're planning to go uh echo victor alpha i don't even think they said that and and, he, and, and he's got that he's got that air traffic controller clipped thing perfect and he had a lot of, it was not just like, hey, let me just make up. It was, it was an enormous deal. But he, he could tell Kubrick was a genius because he could sweat the details. He knew, he knew what was real and what wasn't. Uh, I have a very, very good friend, one of the two best friends in my entire life named Steve Stipp, and he was an air traffic controller in the Air Force. He was a combat controller. He was a special forces guy, parachute in, behind enemy lines, and set up runway lights and, and control, bring in, you know, bring in the flights, and also uh, you know, call in airstrikes. And parenthetically, he was <laughs> this would be the early 80s when America was at its absolute nadir. Um, uh, and he was, they were doing an, an uh, an exercise where they were going to infiltrate uh, an enemy air force base. This is a training exercise. And the air traffic controllers, the combat controllers go in and they do their, you know, their parachute insertion and they absolutely be in completely quiet. And they set up the, you know, they set up the runway beacons where you can clear to land a, like a you know, C-130 or something. And, and they got all this stuff done and they're, they're, there's going to be a parachute drop and they're trying to maintain uh, uh, the silence, you know, because they've got guards at the base. And he said the rangers came over, and as the rangers came over and jumped out, I don't know whether they jumped out of a C-130 or of helicopters, he said as they jumped out, they were screaming Geronimo at the top of their lungs, you know, and then the guys on the ground, <laughs> and all these all these searchlights light up, you know, Geronimo! It's like, guys, this is a covert mission, you might want to just, you know, keep that for, uh, for afterwards. Um, but, but Steve was an air traffic controller, and, and uh, during the PATCO strike, he worked out of Palm Beach Tower, Palm Beach International in Florida. And 
way before, years before he became a, uh, an air traffic controller, he pointed this out, but after he became an air traffic controller, he never ceased to point it out. And he said the best, the best representation of air traffic controller he's ever heard in the movies is the opening scene from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, and, and he's right. I don't know if that guy was a real air traffic controller, but that air traffic control scene, the beginning of Close Encounters, which is one of my top three favorite films, uh, was just perfect. Just that, that clipped. That air traffic controller, the actor who played that, the black actor and the supervisor, those two guys, um, they, they were fantastic. Bill, we're having a massive uh, traffic controllers walkout. You heard of it. This is coming up. Bunch of whiny ATCs won the Cold War. You're right about that. Uh, I would love to think that that would, uh, would happen. Oh, yeah, Dave Big Booty for the quota. I don't know how you do this. Aries 35, do you wish to report a UFO over? And then there's like long silence, long silence. Uh, no, center. we don't want to uh, report one of those. Classic, 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 classic. Anyway, so um, that's, uh, that's it. Now, uh, uh, Eric says that Kubrick originally brought Arlie Ermey on as a consultant, but he gave so many clever lines for the character, Kubrick realized he had to play the sergeant, and, and he was fantastic. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, anyway, I love talking about these things. It's just nice to not have to think of something new to say about COVID uh, or the government. Um, and I am relatively close friends with, um, I wouldn't say close friends. I am close acquaintances with uh, Animal Mother himself. As a matter of fact, I was sitting next to Adam Baldwin on a couch watching the 2020 election came in. Uh, and, uh, and I remember he said to me, this is after they called Florida. He said, maybe we should switch over to MSNBC now so we can watch them crying. And I said, let's just wait a little while. And four minutes after that, they called Arizona for Biden with 2% of the vote in or something like that. Yeah, Jane. Yeah, Jane. Adam frickin' Baldwin. Major, major conservative, very serious Christian, a big, big guy, huge guy, and exactly um, what, you, what you think. Uh, just exactly the way he is. And so is uh, Gary Sinise, and so is uh, Kevin Sorbo, and so is uh, um, Mike Rowe. Got a chance to know all of them. And so is Johnny Voigt. John Voigt's one of the, the nicest men I ever met. Um, so anyway, yeah. All of these people are, are underemployed. Um, whoa. Peter Durant says, Bill Clinton is in ICU in California. That's interesting. Chris Pratt is a real guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, Kevin Sorbo. Um, I've been to his house several times, and last time I was there was two, three years ago. And he said, yeah, we're leaving. We're going to Florida. Okay, I don't blame you. Um, yes, and uh, for those of you wondering, as Dave Big Booty points out, Adam Baldwin is not related to the other Baldwins. 
if Adam Baldwin and Alec Baldwin got in the same room, there'd be a matter-antimatter explosion. He's a great guy, and I mean to hire all of them, um, and others as well. Uh, Gary Graham is, is one of the people I know best. Of, of, the, of the people who have, you know, actual names out there, I'd say the two that I'm most close to would be, um, would be Gary Graham, who played the Vulcan ambassador on, was it Discovery, I think? Not Discovery, forgive me. I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna forgive myself for that. Uh, on Enterprise, and uh, and he was also in. Um, was it uh, was that Alien movie where they were a couple of cops? The TV version of that movie. Um, now it'll come to me. And uh, Alien Nation, thank you. And uh, also um, international film and television um, personality. Um, He's just such a great guy. I just happy memories there for a second. Nick Cersei is uh, is just a is just a he's just one of the most naturally funny guys I ever met, uh, and he's a, and he's a terrific guy. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was may or may not have been going to certain meetings several years ago, pushing over 10 years ago now, well over 10 years ago now. And I remember since I was running a lot of those meetings, people would come in and just couldn't believe it. I mean, here's somebody I've like really worshiped my entire life. And somebody introduces me to this guy and he says, yeah, this was the guy who was the voice of, uh, of um, brain on pinky on the brain, pinky on the brain. And he was the voice of um, Kiff in, uh, in, uh, Futurama and, and, and Morgo. I used to know all these things and all of this information is just leaking out of my head. It's, I hope it's being replaced with something else. It's probably not. Um, anyway, uh, one thing I found is that the conservatives that I've met who are famous are genuinely nice people. And I have not met a lot of the progressives, but they have a reputation for not being genuinely nice people. I've heard that Bill Maher, essentially, if he's got a live event, speaking event, he parachutes in and he helicopters out, you know. It's like he goes on, and the second he's done, he's out of there and out the door. Talking to the little people? No, thank you. Um, so anyway, uh, so I've got um, Maurice LaMarche. Yes, that's right, my friend Maurice LaMarche, um, who is a great, great guy. And, uh, and he's the voice of um, Acura. I think it was forever. It was, I think, forever. I haven't met Kurt Russell. Uh, I have met um, James Woods, although after this thing was kind of wound down, the um, <laughs> furball says, would you want to talk to the people in the audience of a Bill Maher show? No, I don't think I would. Uh, Tom Selleck I've met, um, and I, and I got, actually got a... I got a, a momentary eyebrow raise from Tom Selleck, and that's uh, something that'll wither you. Um, it was a relatively small meeting, and Tom Selleck was there, and I'm, everybody's going around the room and talking. And I said, you know, I'm going to do this. And, uh, Tom, um, uh, great to see you here. I, you know, 
I should just feel like I should tell you in advance that I'm a I'm a big advocate of, of gun control and he and he just you could just see him like you know like oh we're gonna get another ambush and I said yeah uh, I think if you can't put six rounds in a, in, a, in an area this size from from 20 feet you really need to go back and and practice and he just he just burst out laughing. Uh, Kelsey Grammer, I've I've met. Kelsey's a very private guy and 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 extremely sweet man. Just exactly what you'd expect him to be. Just all of them are exactly what you would expect him to be. But I can remember working in um, as a TV editor and having friends on a different show. Tell, uh, no, it was a TV thing where. Uh, um, Jennifer Lopez was coming in for an interview and uh, at the TV station. This is, this is a TV station. And she had had a memo passed out basically saying, uh, no one is to look at her. No one is to st start a conversation with her. That part was like, you know, and if, she, if, you, if you see her in the hallway, please just look to the side. Don't make eye contact with her and so on. And I thought, who, who do you think you are? I mean, who do you think you are? Even in a case where you might be mobbed by fans, I can understand. I can understand the need to get away from that. I really can, believe me. Uh, but even then, it's like you're you're in a TV studio with professionals. What do you think they're gonna do? Do you think they're gonna hand you scripts? And I never did meet um, Tim Allen. I'm sure he's a great guy. Um, but anyway. All of that, and man, I miss Norm. I, I just been I, honestly in my in my free time. I I think I've watched nothing, but but Norm Macdonald again and again and again and again and again and again and again. I I just God, I miss him so much. Um. And and if you watch a lot of Norm, you can you can see things that you didn't see at the time. Little little hints you know that um that there was something wrong uh and um and you know i look i look at these i look at these clips of him and and the thing about him is um is he just he's just so He's, he, I mean, he's so sharp, but he's so innocent when he's telling a joke or he's on the Letterman show or something. He's got this kind of expectant smile. Scott, Scott, uh, Ott pointed this out. He's, he's like, he's like a kid watching like the fuse on a firework burning down. It's like any second now it's going to be really great. I miss him so much. Um, and he gained so much weight and, and, uh, Shelby AC points this out. He said, looks so puffy. He, his face got so fat. And I thought, wow, Norm, you know, you really need to back it down at the time, and then when I heard that he died, which came out of the blue, I thought, oh, that's why. That's why he looked so, uh, so bad. I saw a video taken of him. If it wasn't the last video of him, it was one of them. And it was one of these, um, oh, what is it? Is it, is it called local.com? You know, where you can pay money to have somebody talk to you privately. And it was a, a video of Norm talking to somebody, and he, instead of giving him two minutes, locals.com, instead of giving him two minutes, he gave him, he talked to this guy for, I don't know, 15 minutes. And really personally, too. 
and he had a and he had a beard and he was getting really gaunt. He had that he had that terminal cancer look and and I hate to put it so plainly, but he did. Dark rings under his eyes, and um, and uh, and he he just was funny. He's just just trying to be funny, and and he was funny. I miss him so much. I, it took me a long time to appreciate him. It really did. I really didn't like him when I first saw him, and. Uh, and I just, I just, I really miss him. Um, there's something about that guy, and and I guess it's just his, just his delight in in having fun. He, I I saw. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's really remarkable, if you think about it. Really remarkable. He did a session with Letterman on the day he was fired. From uh, from um, Saturday Night Live, he got the news that day, and then he did Letterman that night. And I just and Letterman is just like, uh, uh, what's the name of that executive? Don was it Don Everly, somebody. But he's talking about how he got fired that day, and. And Letterman is just constantly trying to, you know, um, you know, pat him on the back and tell him it's going to be okay and stuff. And, and, and Norm's just fearless. He's like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I got fired. And it's like, you not just got fired, man. You get fired in front of the entire country and you got fired for the one thing that you would think would be intolerable. And he said it again and again and again. I got fired because I'm just not funny, I guess. He fired me because he said I wasn't funny. That's a hard thing for a comedian. Don, uh, uh, not Eversley, it's close to that. Uh, Don something or other. Um, he was a uh, NBC executive. It's very similar to Eversley. Um, anyway, he didn't get fired by Lauren Michaels. He got fired by uh, Don... Somebody's going to come up with it. It, it sounds... Olmeyer? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Don Olmeyer. Uh, thank you, Johnny. Um, and so, <laughs> Ebersole, I think it was Olmeyer. Um, and so, and he says, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I didn't get fired by Norm. Um, I got fired by, uh, Norm says, because obviously Letterman had been at NBC forever, and then this is not long after he moved to CBS. He says, uh, do you know a guy named Don Olmeyer? And, and Letterman says, I do. He is the biggest dumbest jerk I've ever encountered. He just goes on and on about it. I thought that, that's that got to make Norm feel good. But, you know, I don't know, just to go out there and do that, it's just it's just great. But he has a lot of references about, about you know, being sick if you go looking for him. Um, and, and I'll tell you the thing I saw that, that was the most heartbreaking thing uh, really was one of his last videos, one of his very last videos, probably within a week or so of him dying, was he did a video with his mom and his mom is obviously pretty old at this point and and he's laughing and she's laughing and here's this woman who knows that um that that her her boy's gonna die and he's gonna die soon you know and she's just playing along she's just all right well we're gonna we're gonna have as much fun with this as we can. I admire this so much. I admire it so much. 
When I found out that he died, I said I didn't have the faintest idea he was sick, but what blew me away was nobody else did either. Nobody else did. None of his friends did. So we did the Norm show. We did a Norm right angle, and it got pulled down from uh, YouTube because of, I put three clips in there. Presumably it showed up on uh, Rumble, and I think you can see it there, but... Um, and, and at BillWhittle.com, obviously. But, yeah, I, I put in uh, three or four Norm clips there. And uh, and the interview... Uh, anyway, I miss him uh, a lot. I miss him a lot. Uh, but when nobody else knew he was sick either, I thought, wow. Babyface Nelson 12 says, dying without telling people you're sick is about the most Norm MacDonald thing ever. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Well said. He's a, he, was a, he was a really funny guy and a smart guy and kind of a tough guy, you know. But he was so humble. And every, every time he would talk about things, ah, this old, you sent, I can't believe you sent a car for this old chunk of coal. And um, anyway. Shouldn't that be covered under fair use? Yes, Dave. A lot of things that we do should be covered under various rights and, and, and laws and rules that do not apply to Facebook because, or, or YouTube, rather, because of reasons. Um, and uh, when I think about the people that are in charge of all this and foisting this on us, it makes me just want to say, you know, it makes me just want to say, uh, so, anyway, uh, Yeah. All right, let's, let's do some questions. We'll start with the, um, the BillWhittle.com stuff because uh, that's, those are the people that are paying me. Um, so let's see what we got. From Justin Witsit, and I'll get to Facebook. Uh, let's see how many we got. We got long ones here, but hopefully we can knock them down. Um, but we'll do these first, and then we'll see where we are after that. Uh, so from uh, Justin Witsit. New member. Hey, thank you, Justin. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, says he joined five years ago, so I don't know how new that is, but we'll take it. Thank you. Hello, Bill. Not really a question. I'll try to keep it brief. Thank you. First of all, thank you for getting my question last week. It was the one that had lost faith in the police and military. have grown to be anti-government 100%. I felt, though, that listening to your reply in the Happy Warrior video this week that maybe you, Scott, Stephen Zoe, and everyone working behind the scenes may need a little pep talk or a attaboys to lift your spirits. After all, it seems you spend every day reading bad news and sharing it with us. Every Thursday night you hear listening to us moan and complain about something. Let me just stop right there. Uh, thank you uh, for that. Um, that means the world to me, and it means the world to all of us. Uh, I've said before, the one thing that I can take anything except for uh, friendly fire. You know, when, when, when I get an email, it doesn't happen very often, but it happens occasionally. I'm canceling my membership. I've been following you for 12 years. I, I, I you know, watched every show you ever did. And then you said something that I disagree with, so I've canceled my membership. That kind of thing, when I hear that, I just, I just makes me want to just, I'm done. Um, but it's uh, undone. The antidote to that is, is comments like this means the world to all of us because it is tough. And, and, and I have to... Not only do I have to explain it to my wife, who's in Russia. Um, my wife left me. She's gone back to Russia. Tick, 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 tick. But she'll be back on, uh, on the 27th. 
And the second she left, I thought, hey, man, that's fantastic. Not that she's gone, but think about, just think about all the work you're going to get done because you'll just have nothing to do. But the second she left, I turned into a, into a, 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 a pie, some inert thing that just sits there. I just sit there. Uh, when she's not here, I, I thought I'd be. Oh no, I'll get so much done. No, you won't get anything done. You'll just you'll just turn into a a, a brick of some kind, some inert object. Uh, uh, put down the bottle cap. There must be something about this mic because Scott says this all the time. Don't play with the bottle cap. Is it? I think it's because this mic is actually more designed to. Is it? Does it want to go that way or that way? Anyway. I just play something like this, and apparently it's super loud. So anyway, uh, yeah, you know, Aesop, I think, probably hold off on that one. Um, although, keep me in the loop. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so I, I just get nothing done. But anyway, um, I try to explain to her about these things. And I, the other thing I try to do very hard, and I'm not successful with it all the time, is I try not to let this... Uh, come into the house, but it's virtually unavoidable. Because um, I not only have to wade out into this bad news on a daily basis and say something uh, somewhat interesting, and, and as I think I said last week or a week before, I, I, I suddenly hit me. It may seem obvious to you, but it, it wasn't obvious to me. It's like I have to do between eight and 10 shows a week and I can never do the same thing twice. It has to be different every time. That actually kind of hit me hard. Like, that's actually fairly, that's actually fairly impressive, you know? You don't get to come out and read the same thing every year. You don't get to come out with the same opinion. You gotta, you, 10 times a week, you gotta have something, something somewhat different to say. Yes, you repeat a lot of things. And I, I'm always aware of that, and I always preface it, well, as I've said before, and it bothers me when I have to say the same thing again and tell the same story again. But then I realize it's like, no, 10 times a week, you gotta, you got to think of something new to say about something that you've been talking about 200 times in the last year. So uh, I just wanted to say, first of all, uh, throw all that in there to say thank you very much for that, Justin. So um, I appreciate that. So let's get on with what he has to say here. So I want to let you know, Bill, that even though everything in my question last week is true. I'm not depressed, defeated, down, or ready to quit. Quite the opposite. I have a happy wife. I live with my beautiful, loyal wife that cooks the most delicious meals every day. I'm liking this better and better. I watch my four children grow up and do my best to guide them to adulthood. I have my faith and hope in Jesus, which no man can take from me. I have a loving family all around me, the companionship of a good, loyal dog, and an ever-growing and flourishing philosophy that many brilliant people, including yourself, helped me to grow and prune and turn into something that has helped guide me to this happiness in my life. That may be the best paragraph that I have ever received. I've received very, very kind words and, and, and from some people who I really admired, like Rush Limbaugh and, and Glenn Beck and all the rest of it, but that may be the most perfect paragraph I've ever read. That is absolutely, absolutely. You know what that is, Justin? That is the end of this BS. That's what it is. If everybody could get to that place, we would, we would not have any problems at all. And in the live comments section, you're seeing... Uh, 
Amen. That's what we'd all say. hope we could all say that someday. That man is a steely-eyed patriot. All of that, it's true. The, the thing that keeps coming back to me in, and, and, and Shelly, who, 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 who's our operations manager, the unsung hero of this organization, I can't, I can't, I can't leave the house without failing to tie my shoes. I bump into furniture. That's how distracted I am. And, and, and Natasha keeps me, you know, afloat at home. And Shelly is our operations manager here. And she does the same thing at work. And all of us are feeling this. She has to deal with it uh, a lot, not because of the work, but just because we live in Los Angeles. And she comes in and says, I can't believe what's happening out there. I can't believe it. I just don't, I just can't, I'm watching this happen and I can't, I can't believe it. And, and it's like, I have to do the same thing for her that I do for everybody else and that I do for myself, which is despair is the goal. That's the goal. That's why it's happening. What, this is insane. Yes, I know it's insane. It, but, but, but don't they realize the danger? Of course they realize the danger. Everything gets very easy to understand once you, once you realize they're trying to destroy the country. It's not like they're unaware of it. This is, this is their target. But their number one, their number one objective is to generate despair. And people who are in despair stop fighting. And this is why they do the things they do. We get trolled by them all the time. Uh, all of this talk about the, the January 6th thing and, you know, and greatest threat to, the, to, the, to this democracy since the Civil War. Okay, we all know how much BS that is. And we know that that hits us in between the ribs that, that, that to have these communists call us un-American is about as far as, as they can go. But you just, you just kind of have to, you know, you just kind of have to realize that's what they're doing. Um, and, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Ultra, oh, cool name, Ultra Hyperdynamic, who I've not seen in the comment section before, says, the views on Rumble for Trump's speech in Iowa were about twenty to 30,000 higher than on YouTube. Are sites like Rumble helping you to get a better count on actual views? To be perfectly honest with you, uh, Ultra Hyperdynamic, um, I, I don't spend a lot of time on Rumble, but I'll tell you what Rumble does do for me. Um, because of Rumble, I, don't, I still don't pull any punches. When we, when we get something that I know is going to get bumped from YouTube, I don't want another channel strike because three strikes and they take the channel down and all of the archive stuff that's there. I, that is something I'm trying to avoid. So anytime we get into anything that's remotely controversial, I'll just, we'll just by myself or somebody else, hey, we've got to have a talk about how, um, how uh, pilots are not happy with their Victrolas. Um, and if you want to hear about it, you can follow that link below and we'll talk about it where free speech is still valued and where adults can talk. And it's, so we just throw the, the link to Rumble. So I don't know how many views we actually get on Rumble. Uh, I know that on YouTube, they continue to crank them down. And speaking of despair, I've mentioned this many times before, I'd love to tell you that it doesn't bother me, but it bothers the living daylights out of me. I was reviewing them a couple of uh, nights ago. I don't obsess over this. I hardly ever look, to be perfectly honest with you, but every now and then I do. And and um, and I saw that these shows now are like right angle shows or moving back to America's. They're seven thousand views, eight thousand views, and that 
really guts me. And it continues to, every time we manage to get that, that audience up, even into the 15, 20,000 view, they, they adjust the algorithm because there's no other explanation for it. It's, and, it and it happens overnight. 12, 13, 14,000, 15, weeks and weeks and weeks, then the next day, 6,000 views. Um, I sometimes comfort myself by saying, this is what they're showing in terms of the number of views. That doesn't mean uh, that's what they are. All of the members, as, as uh, Mr. DiToli points out again, or Miss or whatever, says, I watch him on Bill Whittle's site now, though. That's the place to watch him on BillWhittle.com. What happens is we link him to Rumble. We still post him on Facebook because that's where 189,000 subscribers are. And what? 1%, 2%, I think is the number that PragerU came up with when they tried to sue YouTube. That that of the people that pushed the button that said notify me when something new comes out, that notification went out to 2% of the total number of people. Um, so anyway, um, uh, so, so there's that. Uh, but that, what a great sentence. Uh, and he goes on, I'm content to live my days with my wife, watching my children grow, tending my garden, and watching time continue to roll on. The same way it did before I breathe the air on this spinning rock and the same way it will continue after I breathe my last. I can't save the world and I'm not sure anybody would want me to even if I could. The wisdom here is unreal. All I can do is provide security and stability in my little corner of it and God help the poor bastard that tries to mess with that. So Bill, in closing, this mess, it's not a mess, it's gorgeous. Thank you for what you've done for me, for the service you provided this country and the philosophy that it was founded on. And while I have my eye to the horizon, on the lookout for the wolves, I also have my roots planted deep in my heart in the moment. I am a father, a husband, a follower of Christ, a provider, and a patriot. I am a happy warrior. And uh, Justin, you are an inspiration to me. And, and, I, and uh, I think he's here live in the, um, in the comments section. Uh, what do I say to that? But thank you, you, you know, to all the people who've said, well, you've been an inspiration to me. Well, you're an inspiration to me too, all of you. And, um, and it's a feedback loop. It's like everything else. And I want to, I, I, you know, I feel like we're going to get to one question tonight, and I know how much that bothers people. Um, but uh, you, you are on the, you're on the source of all of the wisdom right there. You don't have to change the world. If you make your corner of the world work, then that changes the world. And we're in this trouble because of, of the neglecting of our own little gardens, you know? It's not like we stopped going out on crusades to slay dragons. We just stopped taking care of our own backyards and, and started to like, well, you know, kids at school, you know, I hear that they're teaching. Well, I guess that's really bad. They're teaching them all these things. We don't do anything about it. Till finally we see a school board meeting or we see one of these communists on, um, on video. And then we suddenly realize, my God, what's going on? I feel things waking up, and uh, my good friend uh, uh, Dictor von Dunkock uh, said something, um, and I'm not using that term ironically. Uh, I feel like he's a friend of mine because we're in the same fight and we're on the same team and we get the same thing. And parenthetically, uh, this last email I sent him, uh, I, I, the first email I sent him, I said, uh, you are the only other person I know in the world in the world besides me that knows the lyrics to Super Chicken. Uh, and 
And the last one I sent him, uh, and I'm not trying to pressure you here, uh, uh, my lord. The last one I sent him was I said, uh, listen to you last Friday night, and thanks to you now I have, I wonder what the king is doing tonight from Camelot in my head as an earworm. Uh, at least it's the um, Richard Burton Broadway version and not the movie. Uh, please send me your mailing address so I can forward you the psychological bills, psych psychiatric bills, which are extensive. Uh, uh, I don't know him personally, but we've, we've communicated a number of times, uh, Nach Keppershift. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, he's singing show tunes from Camelot. And, and I know those show tunes, and I know them because Camelot was the walk-in music for Long Journey of the Young God, which was about Apollo, uh, the Apollo program, which Marusha found on the internet uh, during the Phil Trick show, and crazy. Uh, so anyway, uh, as a matter of fact, that's just a quick little touch on the uh, Moving Back to America I shot today, which is called, um, which I have to edit and get on, called uh, Bricks Without Mortar. Um, and we were, uh, we do the members only show, which is usually about 45 minutes. This last one we did was over an hour. It's just me, Steve and Scott talking off the record about what we're going to do, um, uh, you know, that particular week. And, and it's completely open-ended and loose. And we just go off on every tangent we possibly can. It's a fun show and a few hundred people like it. Uh, but I wrote, uh, I, I didn't write, I did um, this morning's Moving Back to America based on the fact that on Tuesday, uh, Scott likes to sing before we go on the air and he's a great singer. Um, and uh, on Tuesday, Scott was just quietly humming this little tune and I remembered the lyrics and I, I recognized the lyrics. It just he, he was just humming it off camera as I recall. And I said, hey, Scott, is that, is that from Welcome Back, Cotter? That's that's the Welcome Back, Cotter theme, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And Steve talks about Welcome Back, Cotter, and Scott talks, and we end up talking about Welcome Back, Cotter, and all this stuff for 15 minutes. And it made me realize that we no longer have that shared cultural heritage, that the invention of the Internet, among the many other things it does that are destructive, is it takes away our common experience. We don't listen to the same shows anymore as everybody else, and we don't listen to them at the same time either. And television, uh, network television, during my lifetime was the sync track to the culture. We all watched the same things all the time because there were only three choices, and two of those usually stunk, and often three of them stunk, and the best bad choice would be something like Welcome Back Cotter. I cannot ever remember thinking, oh gosh, Welcome Back Cotter's on, but I watched Welcome Back Cotter all the time. And so I kind of developed that theme and ran with it and talked about Gilligan's Island. Now we all know, um, um, you know, the theme from Gilligan's Island and referenced a book that Steve had pointed out, I haven't read it yet, uh, but um, how uh, there's a book called Gilligan Unbound. Uh, Paul Cantor, maybe? Um, and uh, he points out that he, he points out that Gilligan's Island is a small microcosm of America, and that and that um, it was intended that way. Um, it was it was written to be that, 
where the, the rich people and the intellectuals and the, the movie star glamour person and then the, the girl next door and you know all this, all these people are working together but the point I didn't read the book but I read the review of the book by intellectuals who said it was disgracefully reductionist which means it's true um, he uh, he said that and I hadn't really thought about this he said one of the things that happens in Gilligan's Island is these Westerners arrive on this island and they impose their will upon the island. They don't go native uh, like they did in um, uh, Castaway. They don't live in a cave. They built a little American town with huts and, and you got telephones made out of coconuts. And in the last season, I think they had that god awful car or something. Look like the Flintstones mobile, but they basically just went into this, built a little America. I remember the talent contest episode. They had a stage, they had tiki torches, all that stuff. Um, so, um, uh, they went on to, I went on to point out that that's what happened on the original Star Trek, that the Enterprise was essentially America's multiracial multicultural crew but when they when they encounter things uh, that they feel to be inhuman they don't hesitate to impose western values on it and i talked about i shouldn't just tell you about the show i just did but i'm gonna anyway i already started there's a one star trek episode that is by no means its best episode or not even close but it is the best example of this kind of thing and that was an episode of the original series called the apple where um the Enterprise arrives at this uh, planet where everybody is a beautiful young tan surfer person and they all have 80s hairdos and they live in absolute paradise. There is no war, there's no jealousy. Everybody loves everybody else, everybody is cool, everybody's fine and all they have to do is occasionally shovel some organic matter into the giant snakehead uh, of uh, Val. Vol is the um, is the ruler of the planet. Vol controls the weather. Vol makes sure that that um, you know that they don't ever suffer. The weather's always perfect. Temperature's always perfect. The food is always on the trees. There's no sickness. Nothing. It's paradise. And Kirk comes along and basically calls down the big the big thunder stick from the sky. The the, the western boom comes down, and they blow up Vol. And now they've got murder and um, murder. Somebody murders somebody. And, uh, or at least they tried to. Maybe they didn't actually do it. Maybe they just tried to. By the way, I seem to remember that was a show where this very feminine uh, woman in a, in a red uh, security outfit and the, and the miniskirt. And this guy is moving forward with this club to either kill somebody else or try to kill her. And she just whoop, does a judo flip and put him down. Uh, and... Um, I remember thinking, cool. Um, so anyway, that's what that's what the country was like when when we believed in ourselves. It's like you're going to destroy paradise. Yes, and Kirk's real clear on why. It's like this is not people are not pets, you know. Yes, you've got everything, but you don't have free will and you don't have ambition and you don't have any of these things. So I've decided on my own because the prime directive came later in the season. 
I decided on my own that we're gonna um, we're gonna make you now you have to grow your own food now life's gonna be tough it's gonna be much worse for you but you'll be humans and in the long run that'll be better and he does it again and again and again and again and again all the time he's always in there that episode where um, uh, and this one I thought was actually very profound or these two planets are at war and um, in order to keep things clean they have computers run the the battle simulations and so the computers will determine what damage would have been done and it's all a simulation and then each society has to have a certain number of people report to the disintegration booths taste of armageddon thank you i used to know all this stuff um thanks dave and so kirk comes in and once again calls down uh the phasers and he's only able to call down the phasers because Mr. Scott says, no, sir, I'll not lower the shields. Awesome. But what he does is he basically blows up this, this thing. And he says, no, you've been in a war for 100 years. War is messy. You've created the system to make war clean. That makes it more acceptable. Now you're all going to die in fire. And, and now war is going to be real war. And you're going to know what it's like. So we've um, messed up your little perfect world. Now off you go. And... And, and now you get to have a real atomic attack. And once they realize that this is actually going to happen, then they start talking to each other. And it's like, America wins again. It's uh, nice to be able to see... Um, to be able to see what this society looks like when it's confident. And I almost put that in the past tense, but I'm not going to. Um, I know what that looks like. And uh, and this is it, right? Uh, Scotty versus the Romulan commander. His best moment was Enterprise takes no orders except those from Captain Kirk. That was a great moment. Scotty refusing to lower the shields to the diplomat. By the way, the diplomat, the State Department guy says, you will lower the shields. This is a breach of, makes us look awful. Of course we can trust them. Um, they've given us their word. Well, the second the Enterprise would have lowered its shields, they were going to blow Enterprise out of the sky. And Scotty says, nope, I don't think so. Nope, I think not. Uh, oh, you're going to get on. Uh, wait till you find out. Go talk to whoever you need to. But right now we're going to we're going to keep the shields up until the captain tells us it's okay to do so. It was great. And um, and and that and that even as a as a young boy, a six year old, seven year old kid, you watch that episode and it's written in order to teach you something. And what it teaches you is don't trust the diplomats when it comes to security. It's just right there. Don't be ridiculous. Of course they would never fire on us. We've, you know, they've given us their word and they're just waiting to pull the trigger. And Scotty just like, not going to do it. And I'm six or seven and I'm thinking, Dah, way to go, Scotty, you know. Um, but Scott's best moment was uh, in uh, Trouble with Tribbles where uh, he goes down, he's, Kirk sends him down to the shore leave on the space station in order to prevent, because the Klingons are there too, and in order to prevent fights, um, uh, he sends Scott down to be kind of the adult, and it turns out there's a giant brawl, and Kirk's questioning him, and, and who threw the first punch, and Scotty says, oh, well, I did, sir, and he says, Mr. Scott, you care to explain yourself? And he says, well, uh, Captain, he, he called you, a, the, the, the Klingons called you a Denevian slime devil. And Kirk has this kind of like smile, a little bit of a smile, and he says, oh, so that's what caused it then. They insulted your captain, and, and, and that's when you struck him. No, sir. 
a man has to take you, you said something to the effect of a man has to be able to control his temper. You told us to 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 uh, you know to 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 be grown-ups. Then why did you hit him? He called the enterprise a garbage scow. But that moment when he says that's just good writing. So he called you a Tadebian slime devil. Oh, so you hit him because he insulted your captain? No, sir, no, not because of that. Um. Anyway. All right, let's see. God, I'm just not getting to anything tonight. I'm sorry. Uh, Marcia says, I'm staging, uh, setting up a staging channel on Discord, which people can use to do video panel talks with other members or even the general public. Could potentially use it to form a call-in. Um, might be a perk and stuff. And Marcia's done a lot of work on this Discord thing, and I haven't done much with it or really anything because I don't really understand it, and, and I'm... Uh, and I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I've used Discord before, but it hasn't been a completely happy experience. Uh, I got a screen cap here, hang on. But in any event, I do need to promote this. Great, okay. Um, I need to... Uh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Don't go away. Sorry. Okay. Um, all right, so let's see. I'm looking at the questions, a Shakespeare question from a couple weeks ago. Attempt number two from the coolest. What a cool picture. Uh, hey, Bill, I'm 29 years old. I'm getting married this Friday. I probably missed that, but congratulations. Uh, about two weeks ago, I realized that I don't truly know what it means to be a husband. My parents divorced when I was a baby. I was raised by my mom because my dad was only in town a few times a year to make things more difficult. Is that my, fi my fiance is center left? Certainly not radical, but still a Biden supporter. Is there any advice you have or things you learned from your father about being a good husband? If What if being a good husband, by our traditional definition, is a bad husband to someone who is left-leaning? My Google history will forever record the search, quote, how to be a good husband, unquote. Any insight would be appreciated. Wow. Um, I'm sorry I didn't get to that earlier. And, uh, and to, it's dated September 30th, so... Uh, two weeks ago at least. Um, I have to tell you, uh, it's extremely presumptuous for me to, um, to do what you're asking me to do, but I, I'll do my best. Um, first of all, Do I have much advice about being a good husband for my father? I don't. I don't have any advice for my father about these things. None. Um, uh, my dad was a from from childhood a tremendously confident guy, just a real lady killer kind of guy, and he didn't teach me any of that stuff. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was fourteen, and as I got much much older, I realized. He could have really ammoed me up in a lot of ways, but it just really wasn't there. 
Uh, he, um, he had a, two jobs, you know, the hotel job, I've said many times, is a double job. You have to be there in the daytime to do the administrative stuff of running the hospital. The hospital It's probably a Freudian slip of some kind, the hotel. And then at nighttime, he had to go down and entertain people, so I didn't see a whole lot of them. And by the time they got divorced, uh, I was still too young for this advice, but I, he, he could have really helped me, but I, I didn't get it. I had to stumble through it on my own. Um, so the first part of your question is, no, I didn't get anything from my dad, but I did learn some things on the way because I pay attention and and I had the stupid beaten out of me, and it took 40 years. Uh, but if, you know, unless you're made out of utter, you know, adamantium, you can learn things occasionally just through trial and error. Um, now I'm not dodging your question because I do my best to answer that. Uh, first of all, what if being a good husband by our traditional definition is a bad husband to someone who is left-leaning? Uh, a lot to say about that. Um, First of all, if this woman decided to marry you, then she admires your character. Uh, that's just a given. Don't change. And if she pushes you to change, then gently and calmly, and certainly don't do it when you're angry, then just gently and calmly, I would say something to the effect of, well, honey, I was, you know, I was a conservative when you met me, and I was a conservative when I proposed to you, and I was a conservative when you accepted, and I was a conservative when we got married. However you want to describe yourself. You want to say center right or whatever, it doesn't matter. And now you're asking me to change, and, um, and I don't think I should do that. Not only because of how it would affect our relationship, but because I don't think you really have any grounds to ask me to change. You didn't marry me uh, provisionally. There was no, well, if you change into the kind of left-leaning person that I am, then I'll marry you. You married me. We're married. You knew what you were getting. Bill Burr does a really good, really good um, set on this. Bill Burr, just got, Bill Burr, the comedian, has got a lot of really good stuff about um, relationships. He speaks his mind. But he says, well, you know, why is it that we're always working on me and my problems? My wife is a perfectly formed creature, you know, and, and underneath a glass in a, in a museum. There's nothing ever wrong with me. It's always my problems. And he said, don't you realize that you, you knew I was a, a you knew I was a, a psychopath and a lunatic when you when you married me? Is it, that's that's not only a good argument. That is the argument. You should never, ever, um, change, especially what are core beliefs, to make somebody else happy because nobody knows who that person will be, not you and not the person trying to change you. And, and if you're asking to somebody, if you're getting pressure to reverse, um, to reverse what you are, then you really didn't marry me at all. You, you married the person you thought you could turn me into. And I wouldn't make that an accusation, I'd make that a, a question. A serious question. Um, and that should get you, you know, an answer. And, 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 and you know, and it'll do some early in, early in our marriage. I changed a, a lot of my behaviors, but some of them I didn't. Um, and early in our marriage, uh, I had once again done something that 
made Natasha angry. I don't do that a lot. We don't argue. We don't. We're not one of those couples that screams and yells. Nothing. Um, but she was, she was starting to get naggy. She was starting to get a little bit nasty, you know. And she said something, and I just turned to her and said, "I said, careful now." And the second I said that, she, I can't explain it to you. It, it, it was like, it was like deactivating, uh, uh, it was like, it was like pulling, it was like cutting the, 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 the green wire on a ticking time bomb. It was just instantaneous, instantaneous. Careful now. I didn't have to say, I won't be talked to that way or anything. Just like, no, we're not, we're not gonna do that. And I realized, and this is something you need to remember, buddy. Uh, if I knew your name, I would mention it, but since you're called the coolest, it's something you need to remember the coolest. Um, you will be tested all the time. And, and it's not a noble thing. It's, it's what people do, mostly women do, constantly pushing the borders. Children do this all the time. Where is the line? And if you keep backing that line up to make her happy, you're not gonna make her happy you're just going to make her angry. And the, and the quicker you make it clear where that line is, the happier she will be. And, and that was the thing that surprised me the most about me taking a stand there on this. Uh, when I basically said, look, I'm not going to be nagged. I didn't get into this to be, be nagged. If you've got a problem, we'll talk about the problem. I'm not, but I'm not going to take this. And, and, and I realized that she went from being angry to actually being almost blissful. Not just, not just going from angry to being happy, but going from angry to being happy and, and comfortable and relaxed and relieved. That's the word I'm looking for, relieved. There, this is something you're gonna deal with all the time. And you don't have to go around the house thumping your chest and you know, we're gonna do the thing my way or the highway. But you have to show strength and, and you, you need to make that clear. And the sooner you do that, the better life will be for you and better life will be for her. Uh, whether she knows it or not, uh, the reason she married you is because nobody wants to marry a, a, a liberal because they're weak and, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're feminine. They're, they're, they're just, they have no spine. Let's just say spine instead of something a little more uh, uh, accurate. And all women are looking for this. And I will give you one piece of advice that I, that I figured out before I got married, and that is this. By all means, discuss problems, money problems, have discussions about that. But if you are ever genuinely worried about something, do not share that with her. Find your friends and go out and talk to your friends. Do not ever show that kind of weakness. And I'd love to tell you it's about something as simple as pride or face, but it's not. Women's brains work differently than ours do, and their capacity for worry is three orders of magnitude higher than ours. Every now and then, I realized I would say something like, yeah, I'm a little concerned about the income or something, and I would just it'd be like a throwaway line because I'm, I am concerned about, about income and making ends meet and keeping the, the business running. So I just kind of just tossed it out there. But she was convinced that we're going to lose the house, you know, that we're going to be out on the street. You, you don't get to 
you can you can you can cry and you can even break down but you don't get to be in front of them but you don't get to be weak in front of them because if you are then they the, look women are looking for security and if you if you show a, a a real stretch of weakness that's okay but if you do you will be tested in that area again and if it continues to show up she will lose respect for you and once she loses respect for you then the bitchiness starts and um and it's just how they're built uh that's just how they're built and um they have a they're they, you got you can find it on youtube i don't have the link somebody probably provide it uh hang on a second somebody posted a, a dupers dw uh, mentioned he went to his church group with his wife and they were talking about fighting fair um and and it's and it's good advice about you know basically you know you just kind of time to kind of turn this off um but here's since you're asking for advice i know this is kind of coming scattershot and this i'm sorry to say will be the last question i do because my voice is going fast um what what is it i want to say here um you will be tested all the time and and she will fight dirtier than you will uh that's just the way it is and and you just need to be ready for that uh, before i met my wife i was in a relationship that didn't last very long and and i got out of it quickly because the individual involved was kind of nuts and aggressively angry uh, about things that I had nothing to do with. And um, and towards the end of that, she used every weapon there was. She went to nuclear weapons. And after having taken this for quite a long time, uh, in one of our last uh, discussions, I basically said, I've sat here and taken the worst that you've thrown at me, and I've pulled my punches. But I don't have to pull my punches. And I said something that wasn't pulling my punches. And I said, yeah, see, that's how it works. So you, you, just, have to, you just have to accept that. This is the most important thing, okay? This is the most important thing, and this is, this is really tread worn advice that you most people talk about hundreds of times but since you asked it is the most important thing okay everybody says you know you should listen to your wife yes that's true but this is something you have to understand this is hard for men really hard when your wife is complaining about something something's wrong we think it's our job to fix it but they're not telling us about it in order to fix it they're telling us about it in order to tell us about it. And if somebody, if a woman comes to you with this problem, something's bothering her, and your first instinct is to immediately say, well, here's how we can fix that, honey. We'll get rid of this problem right away. That's not what they want. They don't want a solution to the problem. They don't want that. That's not what they're talking to you about. We 
understand this. Hey, man, I've got a problem with this. Well, what do you need? I need a, I need a, you know, I need a circular saw and I need a, this many two by fours. No problem. We'll get it on your way. They're, they're not, they're not, they're not, when they come to you with a problem, they're not coming with you. They're not coming to you with the problem so that you can provide a solution to the problem. They're coming to you with the pro problem so that you can, so that you can listen to them and sympathize with them. That's what they need. And that is a hard thing to learn because if you love your wife and I love my wife very much, when they start talking about things that bother them, you're going to want to just jump in there and say, hey, we, we can solve this problem right now. We'll just do this, 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 and we'll just fix it. Um, no, no, you just got to listen to it and, and you just got to sympathize with it. And, um, and if, if you have something really serious, I'm telling you, don't, don't share it with her. Uh, my wife and I have joint personal accounts and stuff, but she doesn't have access to the business accounts. And I do that on purpose because I don't want her to know how close things can get sometimes, how, how, uh, like any small business, it's all based on faith and you have to, you have to believe that certain things are going to happen and and so on but but their capacity to worry exceeds mine as i said by three orders of magnitude and i'm capable of worrying quite a lot especially about money issues um they can't do it and so if you have a real issue if you have a real issue talk to friends you know go find your buddies and go talk to them do not Talk to your wife about things that really genuinely worry you. Uh, your job is to be a worry sponge, and that's what I do. And the more I do it, the better I get at it. And the more I do it, the more comfortable and happy my wife becomes. It's really just that. It's like, you know, well, you know, how, what, what, what about this? Don't worry, honey, I got this covered. You, well, baby, I told you I got it covered. And you don't have to worry about that because I'm, I'm taking care of it. That's all they need, really. And, and it's hard for men to appreciate that level of worry and fear. I'll give you a great example of this. Um, rarely, just because of the choices I made in my life, rarely have I ever found myself getting out of a car in a, in a dangerous situation. So what I'm trying to say here is that with the, with the exception of maybe four or five times in my life that lasted for five minutes less each time, I walk around at nighttime, I go wherever I want to, at day or night, I get out of a car, I walk into a building or a bar, whatever, I never worry about my physical security, ever, because I'm a guy. It's almost impossible for men to understand how how different that is uh, for for women yeah. when you it's some, just picture the most simple thing you you're you've gone shopping or something and you and you've got a couple of grocery bags and you're heading back to your car guys never ever think about this just never enters our head of course we're not worried about being attacked they're worried about being attacked all the time and they're right to they're right to worry about those things. And your job is to make sure 
that they don't. And, and probably the best way I think I could describe it is your job is to take care of everything outside the house and her job is to take care of you. And I know that sounds old fashioned, but it's old fashioned because it works. Her job is to, is to make sure that you are in maximum condition to go out and deal with everything all the time. Um, and that's, that's the job. And, and if you've married the right woman, it's a good deal. Um, it's a real good deal because prior to being married, I never had that in my life ever from my parents, nothing, never, ever had anybody take care of me. I know this is a revelation on it, but which happens to be episode 300, by the way, tonight of the Stratosphere Lounge. But that's, that's a fact of the matter. Uh, you know, I'd, my parents were really pretty distant and uh, most of my life I was pretty much alone and had pretty low self-esteem. And then there was a period of my life there when I was suddenly all of a sudden just like, oh, now, now I've really got this figured out. Now I know how it works. And I spent five or six years out there, uh, you know, walking around with a spotlight on me and, and really enjoying it and getting, getting really to know how, how this thing works. Uh, the, um, one of the things I learned during the course of those times is that every time I took the shot, I never, ever regretted it, ever. 300th episode. Uh, I've regretted not doing things, but, but I found that if you act with confidence towards women, you can get away with pretty much anything. And, and, and I'd never had anybody actually taking care of me. And, uh, and when you're sitting on the couch or taking a nap on the couch, and the next thing you know is you look up and, and somebody's putting a blanket over you, that, to me, is worth all of this. All of it. You know? Uh, I... I She's had a hard time connecting to uh, her market as a photographer, doing most of the financial lifting. It's a good deal for me. But that's the most important thing I can tell you there, uh, Coolest. Your job, your job is to be the filter between the real world and your wife. And I don't think you should try to convert her, but if you continue to do the kind of things that you have been doing, then she will stop becoming a Biden supporter because you will be doing things for her that she had always expected the government to do for her. That's actually kind of profound in a way, I think, surprisingly enough. The liberal politics happen because of single women. That's the voting block that gets all this stuff done. I talk about minorities and, and things, the black vote and the Hispanic vote and all the rest of it. It's, sing, it's the single woman vote that creates the uh, welfare state. Uh, and it's not hard to figure out. Once you have uh, the birth control pill, you can have, uh, and you res you've, you've lost the restrictions on sex within marriage. And once you have uh, no-fault divorce, you end up with a lot of single women and many of them with kids. And they've got no one that they can depend on. And in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, they are right to not have any faith in men. Because the men, but the flip side of that coin is, maybe you shouldn't keep choosing such losers. Um, 
But if you provide the security that she had been looking for from the state, then over time, she'll become a conservative. And the way she'll become a conservative is for you to explain that, well, here's where our budget is and here's what we're doing. And, and, and I go to work and you go to work and, and 30% or 40% for every dollar we make, 30 or 40 cents or we're, we're, we're just, we don't even touch. I would make that point. This is why the single greatest evil in our country right now is, is automatic deduction of taxes from payroll because you never touch the money. You may be getting paid $600 a week. That's your salary. You come home with 465 or something like that. And so you tell yourself that, well, we're, we're making $465 a week. You're not. You're making $600 a week. And you need to at least make it clear what you could do with that whole money. But you don't have that whole money because it's been taken away to give to people for, for this, for the government. And the more of the money that gets taken away, the more she's going to realize, well, we're working our butts off for this stuff. Yeah, honey, we are. And that's why I'd like lower taxes. That's why I'm a conservative. You don't have to say anything more than that. But this business of, well, here's our paycheck. This is what we earn. No, this is not what you earn. This is, this is, this is what the government leaves you after they've taken what they consider to be their, uh, their, their cut. And every day we find more and more this sense that, this is, that the government considers this to be their money. And anything they can do, including the episode we did uh, last week with Scott, where, um, where they want to pass legislation that says that the IRS can look into your banking transactions. And any transaction more than $600 raises a red flag. Where did this money come from? None of your effing business. None of your letting business. So the stronger you are, the more conservative she's going to become. And whether she admits it or not, that's what she wants. And you don't have to disabuse her of whatever um, illusions she may be laboring under. That's just going to cause arguments. Do it. You don't tell her about it. Make it happen through action. Actions are what counts. Um, I remember when my wife first got here, <laughs> Action Context says, says the government practices uh, prima noctis on your paycheck. That's right. Now, that's the ancient rule that said that on, uh, if a peasant was getting married, the lord of the manor had the right to, to, to take the wife's virginity. That was just, that's just why it's good to be king. Uh, deal with it, slave. Um, but you, you will make her a conservative by, by doing all of these things. Um, and and the, the, the more stoically you bear them, the better off it will be. Uh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. When, when Natasha first came to America, I mean, before, she, before I asked her to marry me, when she came to visit the first time, uh, when we got back, we, we, I flew to New York to meet her there. We saw Les Miserables, and we came back to L.A., Within the first 24 hours of being in L.A., I, uh, I crack out the uh, AR-14 that I used to own before that terrible boating accident. And, uh, and I showed it to her. I walked in. I didn't surprise her with it. And God knows I didn't point, her at, point it at her. I'm not that kind of guy, and those people need to be beaten. 
But I, did I say AR-14? Man, I'm losing it. It's one better than that. It's an AR-15. And I brought this out and unzipped it. AR-15. I misspoke. So I brought out this AR-15. And uh, and I unzipped it from the case and opened it up. And, and an AR-15 is serious business. When you look at the black rifle in your house, you realize, okay, this is not joking around. It, just the sight of it still to this day. I, if I look at that, that AR-15 in my house, I think, holy cow, you know, this is, this is a lot of responsibility. And I showed it to her and, and she didn't mock me exactly, but she thought the whole idea was kind of ridiculous. And she was open enough to say so, as if like, what, what, what do you have this for? It's mostly to protect us from our government. <laughs> and got this kind of look like, if the government wants to come in here, there, there's nothing you can do about it. And I said, no, you're wrong, I think. Um, and, and she didn't get it. But she did later. And I'll never forget this moment. We rent a house. Uh, and, and it's a nice house. And thank you all for that. And... Our door, like many doors in a nice neighborhood, is a wooden door, and on both sides of the wooden door is cut crystal, right? Cut crystal. One thing that she was absolutely astonished at from the instant she got to L.A., the second she got into my apartment at the time, and I just had the one deadbolt, she said, that, that's it? I said, yeah, and I don't, I don't use that when I'm in the house. I keep the handle locked. It's an apartment complex, but I don't throw the deadbolt when I'm in the house. She said, that's, that's, I can't believe it. Apparently in, in Russia, even in nicest parts of Moscow and Sochi, three bolts, you know, it's like you seal yourself in there. Anyway, we got out of the apartment, got to the house, and we were coming into the house one day, and, and she saw the glass, which she'd seen a hundred times, and we weren't even really she just she just said, you know, this having this glass here, that's not going to stop anybody. Somebody could just punch right through that and come in. And off the top of my head, I said, honey, the glass isn't there to stop them from coming in. The glass is there to wake me up. The pistol under the bed is what's going to stop them from coming in. And all of a sudden, she just got it she just got it and she's a great shot we love to shoot she's she's just much better shot than i am um but but actually i remember that line i remember being happy proud of that line like no 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 the, the glass isn't designed to keep people out. the glass is just there to wake me up i'll keep the people out and that moment was just watched her it's like all of a sudden all of this kind of thing. she she later told me at that moment, I realized what what having this these guns in the house means. Yeah, yeah, that's what it means. And when I first, so I don't know if you have a gun in the house, uh, coolest, uh, but if you don't, before you buy one, and I recommend you do, for God's sake, go out to a shooting range and 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 rent one. And if you don't, I'm not accusing you of anything because I didn't get to this point till I was 45, which is a good age to have bought a 45. Um, but go to a range, go by yourself, 
get comfortable with it. And then if you don't have one, tell her you're thinking about buying one. Now, as a left winger, she will say things like, well, I don't want a gun in the house. Why not? Well, because they're dangerous. They're supposed to be dangerous. Um, the, the most common um, reason that I hear from women about not having a gun in the house is that they're worried that either you or she will lose your temper to such a degree that you will use the gun. This is why people who are afraid of guns, are they think the gun's just going to jump up in the air. And it's always their insecurity about their own lack of control. That's really what it comes down to. People who are against guns in the house, I'm not talking about with children now, it's a whole other issue, but when people say, I, I can't believe that you, that you would have a gun in the house. Why? Well, God knows what you would do with it. Well, I already know what I'm going to do with it. You're the one who's worried about what you're going to do with it. But if you can take her, don't take her while you're learning. You go learn first. But once you're, and you don't have to be an expert by any means, but once you're relatively competent with a, with a semi-automatic pistol, which means you know how to, the set, look, there's only one problem with a semi-automatic pistol, right? And that is you put the magazine in, you rack the pistol. Pistol goes, uh, 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 the, the bullet goes from the top of the, of the magazine into the breech, and then you can pop the mag out, and it looks like you've got a complete magazine. looks like the gun is empty, but there's one in the chamber. This is not news to anybody who owns a gun. This is the... This, I don't want to call it a safety defect, but this is how people get shot with automatic, with semi-automatic pistols. You can pull the, you can pull the, the magazine out. I almost said the clip, but technically it's a magazine. We'll call it the clip. You just drop the clip, and here come the bullets out again. But there's one in the chamber, and so even though the, the magazine is empty, there's that gun is loaded. Uh, so figure out how to do that, how to make the gun safe, all the rest of that stuff. But once you get familiar with it, if you don't have one, if you do, this is already a, a moot point. Then when you know what you're doing, take her out to the range and say, honey, this is just in case somebody comes through that window and I'm not there. Somebody comes through the window and I'm here, I'll take care of it. But if somebody comes through that window and I'm not here, you need to know how to take care of it. Um, if you can, I, my, this has been my experience consistently. If you get a liberal to a, to a gun range, they don't leave a liberal. The two things that change them are the number one is just the actual sensation of, 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 of feeling that power and watching what it does. But the main thing that converts them is when liberals go to, to gun ranges, they're always stunned by the safety consciousness. They universally, it's been my experience anyway, liberals think that gun ranges are where people go, yeehaw, when they find out how strict they are about safety, how careful you have to be. Everybody behind the line, sir, get behind the line. You know, this kind of thing. Once that happens, she'll start to get it. But if, if, you, can, if you can show her that you are prepared not to die for her, that's nice, but as Patton said, you don't win wars by dying for your country, you win wars by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. If you can, through action and, and, and just through doing it, if you could show your wife that you are prepared to use lethal force to protect her life because you think it's more important that she survives rather than her being a conversation piece at a cocktail party about gun control. You know, this person I was mentioning earlier, her mother said that, no, no, she, she, she is so against the guns that she said, 
I would rather have my daughter die than than save than have a gun in the house and and save her. I question basically. I've, so you're saying that you would you, you feel so strongly about gun control that if your daughter were in danger and I could save her with a gun that I had, you would prefer that I didn't do that. And she said, yes, that's what I would prefer. And I said, this, this woman was an intimidating woman. And I said, I'm sorry, but that's, I don't believe you. I believe you believe it, but no, that's just, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. You say you believe it because you think you believe it. You think you believe it because it makes you feel like you're true to your principles. But if somebody was pointing a gun or was somebody was raping your daughter and you're telling me that I could stop it and don't because of your principles, then either you're lying or you're evil, one or the other. One of those two things is true because I refuse to believe that you could simply watch your daughter do that and then, and then say, no, don't stop it. But if you're really, really genuinely telling the truth, not cocktail party conversation, then that is the most reprehensible thing I've ever heard in my life, ever. It's just absolutely shockingly, disgracefully disgusting. So, um, and like I was talking about tests, you know, always tests. This was the first time I had a chance to talk to this person's mom. And, um, and she was a real strong person, big old liberal, and, and I was being tested. Uh, I understand you, 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 you like guns. I think guns are awful. So now I have three choices, right? I can either say, no, guns are great. Or I can say, oh, yeah, you're right, guns are awful. Or I can basically just say, hey, you know, this is my decision. This is what I do. And, and if I had backed down on that, no, I guess you're right about guns. I'm not I'm not wrong about guns. Um, but, but, and she did say that. Uh, JWT Kuda says, that's disgusting and your daughter should disown her. I, th I thought the same thing. Made it a little clearer why she had some anger issues. Uh, but, um, yeah, I was, I was actually shocked by that. And, 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 and I didn't hesitate there either. It wasn't like I should think. Well, should I say this? No. It's like you're. You don't believe it. that's not true. You're lying. You be, you may believe that you believe it, but I don't believe it, and and you don't believe it either. Um, anyway, all, all of this to say, uh, coolest, that is that you have to lead by example, and and you have to be. You have to be the strong one. She will provide a lot of strength to you in a lot of different ways but the if if you're asking me advice on how to be a good husband I would say just simply this whether it's spoken or not openly discussed or not the rule is she takes care of you and you take care of everything else that's how it goes your job is to make sure she doesn't have to worry about anything other than than you that doesn't mean she has to worship you and serve you and bring you sandwiches on demand i think that goes without saying that's what she she's there for but honestly that's really it that's the deal i will i will be your shield against all of this stuff and all you have to do is keep me not served just keep me healthy keep me balanced you know, I'll take care of all of this stuff to take care of you. And all you have to do is put a blanket over me when I'm sleeping. That's all it takes. 
It's just that simple. That was the, that was, it's those little things. I, I just, I, I st maybe it's because I, I never had it in my life, but it still, it just blows me away. Blows me away. And, and I know, and, and I say, thank you, honey. And she says, Bill, what, 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 it's, this, it's such a tiny thing. It's not such a tiny thing. It's not such a tiny thing at all. It's a huge thing. It's enormous. Um, and that's how it works, man. And, uh, and so you're going to deal with stress and you're going to have a lot of issues and arguments and all the rest of that stuff. You know, the thing about arguments is it's like the thing about arguing and having serious, like mean arguments. If you're arguing all the time, you're in the wrong marriage. We hardly ever argue at all. But every now and then things get relatively serious. And every time we come through them, we realize well, we survived that. The, um, and this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'm going to turn off the camera, and I apologize to all the questions I did not get to. Um, but um, years before that, I was uh, flying with somebody else uh, that I was dating at the time. And uh, we rented a katana, which was a very small airplane, very small engine. Love that airplane. Lovely, lovely airplane. Uh, carbon fiber, no rivet, no rivets. It's a great light airplane. Um, and we went out to uh, did a little like a little round trip flight, and we went out to um, a couple places, and we flew up past the Salton Sea, and we're coming back through the um, Banning Pass. Well, yeah. To understand how this works, um, Los Angeles is a basin, and the Santa Monica Mountains are on the north side. Then there's the this what is it the San something mountains that run to the south. And anyway, there's this little gap between these mountains, and on one side is Los Angeles and the ocean, and on the other side is Palm Springs and everything else. And this forms a very effective venturi. A venturi is a small area where where air can travel, and it's uh, it, the best way to think of a venturi is a an air funnel. So all of the wind that's coming in off the Pacific Ocean during that entire enormous area of coastline eventually comes in, hits the mountains, and gets funneled into this tiny little pass, which is maybe a mile wide, probably less. They put a lot of wind turbines there because it's always windy because all of this air is constantly moving. So um, we were coming back, and this was like her first or second flight, and she was flying the plane. It was dual controls, obviously, and she wanted to be a pilot. Uh, and so we got in this light little airplane, and coming through Banning Pass the other way, that was by far the worst turbulence I've ever been in. Um, and unlike airplane turbulence on a commercial jet, which is what virtually all of you know, uh, heavy turbulence in a commercial jet, because the wings are so highly loaded on a commercial jet, and you're moving so fast, it's kind of a But on a light airplane moving at a lower speed, it's much more of a it's, 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 it's roller coaster time. And there's a point for me telling you all this for a change. It was horrific. It was a 45 minutes of horrific. And I wasn't scared, but I was at the limit. I was not comfortable by any means. And I let her continue to fly that. Um, and 
And when we got out of it, I said, you remember this. You don't ever forget this. The next time you, you feel like you're in trouble as a pilot, next time you're really worried up there, remember that you flew through this, that you got through this in one piece. And, and don't, ever, don't ever let that leave you, you know? Yeah, it was scary. It was real scary. But we got through it because you didn't panic. I didn't panic. Everything's great. Don't forget it. There's going to come a time when you're going to be afraid again. And remember what you've been through and what you've survived. And, and I would just give you that advice as far as arguing goes, right? Um, if you get into a real serious argument with your wife and then you get over it, that's turbulence that you've flown through. And one of the hardest lessons I had to learn in life, not just in relationships, but just in general, was, and this, a lot of this has to do with having a clinical depression, is training yourself to understand that there is a moment beyond the moment that you're in. And having faith, that's the only word for it. I almost said confidence, but faith. Having faith that things will, will get better. When um, it still happens to me, not nearly so often, uh, largely because of uh, medication and mostly because of my wife, but still every now and then uh, I will feel it coming on. It's like a storm coming in. It's like standing on the beach in Santa Monica and, or in Florida watching the storm come in, and I can feel it. And it's like, I am going to have a bad couple days. And there's nothing I can do about it. And there's nothing anybody else can do about it. And these kind of things got much, much, much easier to deal with. When I realized, I said, okay, so you've flown through this kind of emotional turbulence before many times. And it always ends. You may not feel like it when you're in it, but it does end. And so, strap in and ride it out. And, and, and one of the qualities of, of like serious depression is the sense that not only that things are awful, but this hopelessness that it would, that, 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 that this is never going to change. It's always going to be this way. And I, and I'm going through the same thing again and again, and again, it's hopelessness. And, and when you can train yourself to say, I thought it was hopeless last time. I thought it was hopeless the time before that. I thought it was hopeless the time before that too. Got through them all. And it's just going to be, it's going to be a bad two days. Okay. That's how it works. That's the deal. That's the hand I was dealt. It's a good hand. And, 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 I'm, and, and, it, and that's it. And just understand, okay, so if you find yourself in a serious argument and you think, my God, it's the end of the world or the end of the relationship, it's not. It's okay to have a couple bad days. In fact, in fact, this idea that you have to be happy all the time and that any kind of uh, friction is something to be banished is uh, unrealistic. All you can do is try to minimize it and recover from it quickly. You know, so get comfortable with. Um, Get comfortable with uh, with being uncomfortable, and that's the the best thing about. I mean, we are about to have our fifth wedding anniversary, and if somebody told me uh, <laughs> somebody would stay married to me for five years, I would have laughed at them. But I also, my entire life, I said I'm going to get married once. I'm going to do it once. Uh, 
And this is the most important promise I ever made, and I'm going to keep this promise, and no matter what. And when things are, get a little rough, and I will honestly close with this, and you know I'm closing because I've said I'm closing three times. That's the magic number, uh, the coolest. But if things get rough and, 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 and so on, um, here's a sentence that I use all the time. Well, not all the time, but when I need to. I basically say, honey, I don't know what you're going to do, but I am going to be here. You are going to have to leave me. All right. If this thing's gonna, if this thing's gonna end, it's gonna be because you are leaving me. And when they hear that, that's all they want to know. That's the best thing I ever learned in a marriage. Was that the worst, worst time when things are just like, oh my God, you know what? Okay, I'm in for the duration. I can't, I can't say what you're gonna do, but I am going to be here no matter what. And and if this is gonna end then it's going to be because you left me because they're like every they're worried that you're going to leave you're worried that they're going to leave i just put that stake down and i look at people who have okay marriages and i just don't get it i just i just adore my wife i just just i just love her i almost said i worship her but i don't that's a mistake um but I just love her, and I don't know how I ever survived without her. I don't know how I fit into this personality. And a number of people have said, and this is, is nice too, especially when my friend Phil and Bobby were here. Hey, Phil and Bobby, how are you guys, by the way? Miss you already. Um, but they said, and other people have said, that they could tell an enormous change for the better it came over me once I got married. And uh, and I certainly feel it, but I don't. I can't see the outward signs of it, but everybody else does. My wife, especially, she said, "You became a completely different person once we became married." I went, "Good." So uh, you say you're 29. That's probably old enough. Um, advice to people who aren't married is uh, yet is. If you still feel like you know there are there are um, things that you still kind of want to do or some other options or maybe you know then it's not time to get married, man. You know, it's like you got to be done with this whole thing. You got to be done with it. It's like, and and to my enormous surprise and satisfaction, I did have a period of years there when I was the when I was what I always wanted to be before I got married, which is just Joe Cool, you know. There was a period of five, six, seven years where I was relatively famous and, and, and I finally developed a lot of self-confidence and, and, and that self-confidence thing is a spiral, just like a downward spiral, it's an upward spiral. And the more confident you are, the more great feedback you get and 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 that makes you more confident and, and on and on you go. And so I I had a chance to just do what I'd always wanted to do, which is just be the guy. And um, and then by the time I met Natasha, I dated pretty much everybody in Los Angeles. I think pretty much got to everybody. And when it, when when I asked her to marry me, I was I I didn't have anything left to prove uh, to myself or to anyone else. And I, I cannot tell you how.
Uh, happiness is not the word. I, I, I remember before I got married, hearing studies that said that married men live 10 years longer than unmarried men. I said, no, nah, that can't be right. It's got to be the other way around. Bachelors certainly ought to live longer than, than married men because these married men have to deal with all this harping and all this other stuff. All this, like, the, the instant I got married, I thought, <laughs> only 10 years? Honestly, that woman has added 20 years to my life, at least. And, uh, and I miss her. And uh, she's going to be gone for another week or so. But she needed to see her mom we hadn't seen in seven years she said i i insisted on video of that and when they got together it was just enough to make you cry and it made me cry made me happy made me happy uh here's what she's not watching now dave and i don't know if she will be she's she's standing in line in russia um but uh, here's the thing coolest I have never been prouder of myself, and I've been proud of many things. I've been proud of flying I've done, I've been proud of the work that I do, I've been proud of all of these things, but I've never ever felt more fulfilled and satisfied than I did three, four months ago when uh, Natasha's mom, who lives in Sochi, came down with COVID. Uh, mom, uh, uh, Natasha hadn't seen her mom in seven years and had already been feeling very guilty about that. When we heard out that, that her mom had, had come down with COVID, this was my worst nightmare because she would never forgive herself because she, she hadn't seen her in seven years. I said, honey, you couldn't go. There was no, it was dangerous to go until you got the green card. And once you got the green card, COVID, so you couldn't go. Um, but I've never felt better or more satisfied than when I was able to uh, deploy some American cash to this situation and basically make a, a, a hospital bed appear where there was none before. Um, and it's not a question of the actual dollar value, but the ability to send money over there uh, and have that get her into the hospital. And then, thanks to all of you, the ability to say things like, whatever it takes, you know, honey, whatever it takes. So I was able to send some, some money over there and got uh, a person to come twice a day after she got out of the hospital, uh, give her fluids and make sure she was eating okay and stuff. And now she's made a full recovery and she and my, my wife embraced and cried and her daughter was there, her mom was there, all three generations of my, my Russian girls there. And they're all thanking me, and um, and uh, it's as good as it got for me, you know. It's like this is why you're here, man. This is this is what you're supposed to be doing. Your job is your job, and the movies and animation, all that stuff is fun and has had a big impact. But ultimately, the fact that you could you could be a a man, you could. Here's the world coming down to crunch on these defenseless people, and you're not going to let it happen. I'm not going to let it happen. No. And, and, and by the way, I had the money to do it, but if I didn't, I would have sold the car or whatever else I needed to sell. And when you do that, that is... That's the end of the line as far as, as the women in your life are concerned. You do that, and... And you are home free, because that's what you're supposed to do. 
Honey, don't you worry about this. I got this covered. What do we need to do? And we did it. Um, so, uh, yeah, CP Tome said, not on my watch. That's right. And in this particular case, I had the satisfaction, and it's an ego boost, but it's more than that. It's a, it's a, it's a validation that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in this world. Uh, when this was going on, Natasha told me about a text that she'd gotten from her mother. Because uh, I've been, you know, helping out the, the daughter and the mom and all the rest of this stuff. It's amazing what American money will buy you over there. And Natasha shared a text with me about a year ago from her mom. And her mom said, Natasha, this is, this is the first time we've had a man in our lives it's the first time we don't have to worry about everything all the time. And she read that to me, and I just sailed away. You know, it's like, okay. This is, uh, this is, this is walking the walk. Anyway, um, that'll do it. The short uh, two-hour and 40-minute episode 300 of the Stratosphere Lounge. And uh, i just like to close by saying... Um, And uh, there you go. Um, so uh, thanks for joining us. As always, thanks for making all these stories of mine possible, all of those things and stuff, and I really appreciate it. If it hadn't been for you guys, I'd have to be working at Walmart, but I'd be doing something. Um, so 300 episodes. Hard to believe that people would continue to put up with this nonsense, but there's no accounting for taste, I suppose. Uh, so um, we will be... Um, we will be back, uh, Tuesday morning for Moving Back to America. I was going to edit the show now. I, I probably should, I, maybe I'll just do it tomorrow. Um, yeah, we'll see. All right. Anyway, fun talking to all you guys as usual. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the members. The show's made possible by the members, paying members at BillWhittle.com. And uh, and it's always a pleasure to do it. And Aesop says he remembers number one and number 100. I vaguely remember number 100, uh, and that's about all I remember. Um, episode one. Hmm. What's the matter with you people?